We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast is sponsored by Liquid Death. Are you thirsty? Parched? Do you like dark and eerie sinister names for your beverages? Then you'll love Liquid Death. Go to liquiddeath.com, use the promo code BIGBLUE for a refreshing beverage ahead of Halloween season. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always, my co-host Nick Bellato. Today we're here to break down the New York Giants week three loss to the Dallas Cowboys on Monday Night Football. I'm getting my voice back slowly and surely after screaming my voice off last night. And we're going to break down this game on offense on the All-22 film. We'll do it as we similarly have done it in the past. Some drive-by-drive stuff, some breakdowns of key plays, valuations on players like Daniel Jones, Evan Neal, Andrew Thomas, other players that have stood out in this game. And then finally, we'll wrap things up like we tend to with some superlatives. Unheralded player on film, best route we, we liked on film, the best throw we thought Jones made, the best play call, best player overall on film, pass blocking grade 1 to 10, that one's going to suck, and the run blocking <laughs> grade 1 to 10. But I like to start this off, Nick, with this. And this will be especially pertinent for me and for you, because look, you did only see broadcast, but I we both had two completely different views of the original time we saw the game last night than what we saw on the All-22, because the All-22 is just not the same as that view you get at the stadium. There's Me and Nick discussed this on the podcast. Yes, the Bears are the worst at All-22 film, like whatever's going on at Chicago Stadium. MetLife, we don't feel as much better. <laughs> there was one play we went over where we were wondering if Daniel Jones should have ripped the deep over to, to David Sills, and it's impossible to know because we can't see where the safety is because he's off the screen on All-22. Like, what the hell are you doing, Giants? Clean it up. But I want to ask you, Nick, from your first go-around viewing this on the broadcast angle versus now having watched the All-22 film, is there any standout difference or something you think now that you did not think that? I guess for starters, and I kind of thought this, but there wasn't a lot of separation from the Giants receivers. But I will say I felt like Mike Kafka did an excellent job using double moves to try to create explosive plays. And on one of those plays, Richie James, and I put this on Twitter, really made the defensive back at Dallas look silly. It's kind of a catch-22 though, right? Because the Giants, you try to use these double moves. It takes a while for that to materialize. You don't have any blocking up front because it's very unfortunate, the, the situation with the offensive line against guys like Micah Parsons and Demarcus Lawrence. But 
your receivers can't create separation. So one way to get them to create separation against aggressive defensive backs is to run double moves out and ups types of just sinking the hips, decelerating, and then exploding out of your break like Darius Slayton did on the one play that you put on Twitter. So I, I like the fact that Kafka put that into the playbook, but Jones didn't have enough time to really take advantage of that. And it also didn't really seem like the the defenders of Dallas were were biting too too hard on a lot of those double moves either. I was surprised that they weren't biting on those double moves as well, just because, look, the game plan was so much underneath and so much take what they give you in the passing game don't take shots so i would assume they would bite but also it's not that you know the double moves were better i think for the jason garrett offense overall when you're running so much stick like that's when i think they work a little better versus a game plan like this for me the biggest differences from watching this film versus my initial run through nick would be one i felt like originally I thought Mike Kafka did a poor job sticking with the run with Saquon Barkley. He only had 14 carries. And this has been a big thing that's gone, you know, a lot of discussions in my D in my replies this, this day about, you know, Kafka should have stuck with the run only 14 runs of Barkley. As I rewatched on the film, I don't think that at all anymore for starters, you can't just run to run. If the defense is not giving you a look that you can run on your best option is to do what he did run play action, move the pocket, do different things in the pass game because that's how football works. Unfortunately, look, we'd all love to keep giving Saquon Barkley chances to break the run he did because he's their only game-breaking player. But it just doesn't work like that in football. You have to play to what your defense... You have to try to counter like a chess match, like me and Nick always say, what the defense is showing you. And on a lot of these plays that I remembered live, the second and six stands out clearly to me right after the third quarter ended to start the fourth quarter, I was like, you know what? I wish he had stayed under center yesterday. I said this. I wish he had stayed under center. I wish he had ran the ball again. When I watch it on film, I completely don't feel that way. This was a bad play by Jones. I actually think this might've been Jones's worst play of the game. He had sills wide open. Didn't see him at all. The pocket was perfectly clean at that point. Felt a little pressure from the right side. Decided to step all the way in three steps for go for the run. If he had just slid one step to his left, reset the pocket, found his landmark. He then also had, I believe it was Sterling Shepard open. So he had two open receivers. Great route design by Mike Kafka. Drive keeps going if Jones makes the play there. So on all the plays I thought Kafka should have ran on, called run on, they actually looked advantageous to the pass before the snap. And he had route combinations that got receivers open. There were different reasons. It wasn't just what I said about Jones. There were very few plays in this game that I that I blame on Jones. But there were some plays. A lot of these were pass protection breakdowns. They don't pick up a stunt. Daniel Bellinger doesn't chip. Different things like that. But I felt like Kafka actually made the right calls in this game. So that was my first biggest difference. We have to applaud Kafka because not only is he reactive as a play caller, something that Jason Garrett, I guess you could say he was to some extent, but he's proactive as a play caller, right? Because he is putting his team in a position, and it's really hard to do this with the lack of protection, but he's putting his team into a position to get ahead of what the defense is trying to do. And I think one way he was able to slow down that pass rush and open up some lapses in coverage downfield or just lessen the amount of covering defenders by Dallas was by continuously telling Daniel Jones, look, use your freaking legs. The quarterback draw that he called twice with the fast forward to Saquon Barkley, awesome play. Remove You're removing somebody from the box count because they're following Saquon Barkley. All the safeties, the defensive backs, all their eyes are going on Saquon Barkley. You have all the wide receivers to the side, stalk blocking, faking it. 
He just takes it right up the middle. That's an easy 10 yards right there for Daniel Jones. But not only that, when the pocket was breaking down, I'm sure Kafka told Jones this, and there was no quarterback spy. Use your freaking legs. Jones, rip off seven-yard run here, 13-yard run there. Dude ends up with 70-plus rushing yards. That's pretty impressive there for, for an offense that couldn't really do much in terms of dropping back and throwing the football from a traditional standpoint, yet they were still able to move the football. And I feel like Mike Kafka gave this team a chance to win the football game, despite the fact that the mismatch between Dallas's defensive line and the Giants' offensive line was freaking astronomical, dude. And you nailed it right there. That was the second thing. I noticed it, obviously, on the first watch, but it was just even greater on the second watch. We said it, what, for three years now, Nick, since we started doing this podcast, and we obviously are big believers in this as a core tenet of football. You win the trenches, you win football. Obviously, you need a quarterback, too. But if you win the trenches, you win football. When you get dominated in the trenches to the extent that the Giants' offensive line did versus the Cowboys' defensive line in this game, you can't, it's very hard to win a football game. And yet Mike Kafka designed a game plan that coaxed out almost 350 yards of offense, including runs with Saquon Barkley that were completely, in my mind, not really advantageous for the Giants. It wasn't like there was a couple good, there was a couple good well-blocked plays, uh, but it was a lot just Barkley doing his damn thing. I think you put out a stat earlier today, Nick, that Barkley leads the NFL in rushing yards over expectation, basically. In other words, he's done the most independent of everything around him among all running backs in the NFL. I thought that was fully on display. But the key here was this. When you have a game plan like that where you cannot rely on your quarterback to drop back and hit his landmark all the time. Now, again, I'll go over some plays where I do think Jones should have hit his landmark, slid a little bit, reset the pocket, and thrown it. But there weren't many, and when that's the case, Yes, it's a great game plan to have your quarterback decide to run with the football. What did we hear? What have we heard throughout our lives learning football, Nick? And maybe it's just me who's heard this, but this goes back like years of coaching football from what I've heard. One of the freest plays, and it's great with the expected, you know, all the advanced stats is a quarterback scramble forward for the run. A quarterback deciding to tuck it under and run with the football. And that's exactly what Daniel Jones here. And if they weren't going, did in this game, if they weren't going to spy him like they didn't, he was going to take those yards. And that was a big factor in the Giants staying in this game. I really felt like, like, look, 79 rushing yards on seven attempts for Jones in this game. That's, I don't know how to do math well, but that's almost one of four. That You know, that's almost, it's a little less than, it's probably about one in four. He probably had about 25% of the Giants' total yards with just his decisions to run. And a lot of those decisions weren't, oh, you look at the tape. Jones could have slid. Jones could have reset the pocket. Jones could have planted his feet, grounded himself, and thrown the football. A lot of those were the pass protection was a total mess, and there was nothing open. And instead of him taking a sack like an Eli Manning or a Ben Roethlisberger or a Jimmy Garoppolo or a Jared Goff would have taken, he then not only didn't take the sack, but he turned it into an average of almost of more than 10 yards a run, more than a first down on every one of these. Now, Two of those, like you said, were excellent designs and quarterback draws that were not scrambled. So I'll take out, what, 19 yards from that? I think one of them only went for eight, 10 and eight. So whatever, but still almost still average 10 yards a carry on these plays. So that alone is how Daniel Jones did a great job, in my mind, of adding value, and Mike Kafka as well. Donovan Wilson, too. There was one play where Donovan Wilson came down to to meet Daniel Jones, and Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley'd him and just totally erased his angle. And I was like, oh, that sucks for you. Quarterback just put you Jets, bro. But Donovan Wilson, though, was actually pivotal in the second half. And we'll talk about him a little bit 
throughout the podcast. Once we get through the drive by drive, he ended up being the spy on Daniel Jones. So there were a couple different plays where Jones attempted and looked like he attempted, like he was going to want to run. And then Wilson was right there kind of to, to close with down the line of scrimmage. And it forced Jones to, to get rid of the football. But I do want to talk about Mike Kafka because we mentioned him before, Dan. I think it's important to also acknowledge how good these opening scripts are, right? Because there are a lot of RPOs built into this. There are a lot of plays that allow Daniel Jones to read one defender and then make a decision and make the defense wrong based on their post-snap reaction. But the thing I really like, and it wasn't even the RPOs, and you saw this a little bit throughout the first half, was the play-action rollout something that Kafka has used so much? You move the pocket, you change the launch point for Daniel Jones, you get him on the move, use his athletic ability, and it doesn't rely on the offensive line just to traditionally pass block, which is they're not that good at. So you get him rolling out. On those plays, Daniel Bellinger was to the roll side, and he always blocked down in week three. He didn't do this in week one or two. He blocked down, and then he would pivot and just be wide open every time because all the defenders, all those linebackers were either roboting or dropping to a certain depth in zone while flowing towards the play side. Nobody paid attention to Daniel Bellinger. They all thought he was just blocking or running a drag route to the opposite side. And he ran that twice. And those were two first downs that were picked up early. Easy, simple throws for your young quarterback. Get him into a rhythm, get his confidence up. I love little plays like that, little adjustments off of plays that we've already seen through weeks one and two. Great job by Kafka there. You nailed it. I thought that was excellent to watch live. I thought it was excellent to watch on the tape. Those are just free yards that he's coaxing out and designing for them. And you're right. He's had really great opening scripts. He's had really great halftime adjustments as well. We'll talk about that first drive after the half. I mean, you can't blame him for that. He did everything you can do as a coordinator to get the Giants to, to move the ball there. It was bad pass production, which will go over. But again, three for three for me on the scorecard for Mike Kafka. I wonder, Nick, how much of this is that I just went through watching two years of Jason Garrett tape. And it's just such a good dichotomy. There's such a huge dichotomy between the two and a contrast. I don't know, though, man. Like, I don't watch all 31 other teams. This is always the crux and problem. It's always the problem I have, like, when we do this, Nick. I wish I could see, somehow I wish someone could download into my brain the film of 31 other teams so I could really compare how the coordinator's calling it, how Daniel Jones looks, how the offensive line looks, everything, man. We can't. We can only go by what we know, what we've seen with the Giants. As far as that goes, this is just three for, he's three for three on my scorecard. I thought every single one of his games that he's called has not only had Timely calls, great designs, great route combinations, and overall just an excellent feel for how to adjust and attack what the defense is giving you. Yeah, he's been great with that, but we do see the opposing offenses every week. So that's a coordinator that we can look into. And I have respect sure. for Todd Downing. I have respect for Kellen Moore. Who did they play in week two again? Was that a former New York Giants coach? Yeah. Not as much for Ben McAdoo, who's definitely the stalest of the offensive coordinators that we've seen. But that is one way that we can feel out the rest of the league without having it right. downloaded directly into our brain. <laughs> well said. And so far, I think Kellen Moore has been by far and away the biggest adversary for the Giants. Todd Downing, yes. I think, could have done some stuff to screw the Giants over. But, you know, Mike Vrabel was probably in his ear like, we need to pound this rock with Derrick Henry right up the gut. And they just ran it too many times up the gut in that game. That was such a break for the Giants. I really feel like, and we'll see as we go through the season, but that was a big wake-up call for me watching the film on this game and last night. It's not Wink's fault to me. The personnel is just like, 
so bad on the defensive side of the ball overall with the Leonard Williams injury and with the Aaron Robinson injuries. But that's the reality right now. These are the players they have on the field. And I am not looking forward to seeing Lamar Jackson, who leads the NFL when blitz this year in every single metric. He took a huge jump in that regard, at least through three weeks. And Aaron Rodgers, who processes defenses faster than anyone, basically, but like Tom Brady. And maybe people say Mahomes is one of the fastest processors. I don't know. It's going to be rough. because <laughs> Leonard, Leonard probably won't be back for those games. So and hopefully Robinson will. The linebackers are an absolute disaster. We'll get to that in this in the next podcast. But but yeah, I mean, look, this is it made me appreciate what you know what Kafka when I watched a really good game plan on the other side of the ball too like like the one Kellen Moore had and Moore had some great halftime adjustments I thought as well there were adjustments going back and forth and I yeah. felt like Kellen Moore definitely bested Wink Martindale like just on those outside runs sure. that he would do he would just have those two receivers reduced splits off of the offensive tackle and they would block down the end man on the line of scrimmage block down on the apex defender create that seal pull the play side tackle have the play side guard climb up to the second level they were just taking advantage of the fronts that wink martindale was using but wink martindale adjusted pretty well and i felt like the personnel caught on to it but you got to give credit where credit's due sometimes and i felt like kellen moore called one hell of a game and we'll get to that all in the next podcast so we don't want to spoil too much but let's get to the giants offense on film start with the first drive the scripted drive um, where do you want to start here? There's so much to talk about on this drive. So it's like, so we both have a lot of notes. I'm looking at yours now. I'll start with just the first play, man. It's simple. It's nothing crazy here. I put it on Twitter. I really like this alert by Daniel Jones pre-snap with his wide receivers to find that easy, easy RPO solution. I actually tweeted about it and then Turchin reached out to me about it. Cause he, he, he saw, he saw the breakdown. He really liked it too. He, he told me some things that were like, some football jargon I couldn't understand that probably should have sent your way, Nick. Uh, but the crux of it was it was a good read by Jones. It was a good read by the receivers. And that's the things you want to see. You want to see Daniel Jones start to make those pre-snap reads and alerts and get him, you know, understand what he's seeing. When he sees man coverage there, okay, he knows that he has the space to make that rip to the outside on that throw. And it's not the hardest throw in the world, but he throws it with nice velo, and it's an eight-yard gain. It's just free yardage that he figured out with his mind. It's space and timing. So for those who are listening through the audio vehicle, unfortunately, we have two receivers who are splitting the 10 yard line, the 10 number essentially. And Richie James who was the number two receiver does such a good job, Dan releasing and slowing his, his release off the line of scrimmage, just firing his feet to keep that defensive back honest. And what that does is that allows the number one receiver, David Sills, to run that quick little spot route. It's all about timing here. Richie James is trying to allow David Sills to get into his break, which is going to set the pick on number two, who is the defensive back over the top of Richie James. And then Richie James just runs underneath David Sills and is wide open in the flat for, like you said, an eight-yard gain on this play. And the receivers being on the same page, getting the alert to check out of the RPO and just throw this flat route, which ended up being an excellent way to start the game. Second play, they tried the double puller. Um, Neil, this is a tough block, I guess, right? So I don't want to totally kill Neil for this. But there's a nice cutback lane. If Neil can hold his block for a second, I think Staquan could probably drive for seven, seven to nine through contact here. Uh, ends up being what? A, uh, what was this? A one yard? What, what was the play on this? It was a it was a one, one yard right? loss. Yeah, one yard loss. Yep. 
that's a difficult scoop block. Evan Neal's the backside defenders tasked to scoop a two eye technique who read the pulling lineman to his right and saw Glowinski try to climb to the second level. And it's difficult for Neil to make that block. And Neil had a really, really rough day overall as a run blocker and as a pass protector. And it didn't start well either because this was, wasn't the best, but a difficult assignment. Yeah. And it got worse a few, a couple plays later, but I do want to talk about defensive hold on third and three. It felt like to me, Nick, given that this was the third play of the game, there was a plan to utilize Saquon Barkley as a receiver, like we asked, like we've always wished, like we've always wanted, get him one-on-ones. And we saw that at other times throughout the first half. It didn't always go his way. Now in the second half, I didn't see it as much because unfortunately Kafka had to adjust and keep Barkley in more as a pass protector. I really feel like in a lot of ways, and we'll get to this, that was just one way. And it is a big way for me, but there were even bigger ways. The Giants could have unlocked about 250 to 300 yards passing this game when you watch it on film. Curious to get your take on this. If they had gotten one thing down, the pass protection, it is a huge thing. And I'm not trying to say, like, snap your fingers and it's going to work next week. But if they could get this thing down, man, there there were some big opportunities in the pass game. This was kind of one of them to begin with. He got held on. This is more based on the penalty. But just going forward with it, I kind of felt like, he had to take away a lot of what he wanted to do, Kafka, with Barkley in the past game because ultimately in the second half, he had to help use him to help in pass production. It was before the second half too, yeah, man. Was. Like the very next play, the first in 10, it was a play action with Saquon Barkley, leaks to the linebacker and gets isolated against Leighton Vanderesh. And he just releases outside and he has leverage on Leighton Vanderesh, but Evan Neal was beat pretty badly around the edge by Demarcus Lawrence and it ends up being a sack. Like at this point, when Daniel Jones is just getting beaten battered throughout the first half you have to put your running back into the a gap to 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 spy on basically micah parsons who's aligning everywhere and just be that sixth man of protection along with daniel bellinger who was chipping on andrew thomas's side and chipping on evan neal's side basically the entire game yeah you nailed it nick and it sucks to watch this place is the first and 10 right after defensive hold because everyone really does do their job except for Neil on this play. The pocket is pretty good except for Neil's guy. And, you know, that's going to happen sometimes. But it almost I almost feel worse about it when it's like this, when it's just one guy messing up the play rather than when, like, it's the total breakdowns that we'll see at some point with this offensive line. But we'll see what happens with Neil, obviously. Yeah, Neil just loses badly on a cross chop. So basically, Demarcus Lawrence just uses his inside arm to just cross his body and chop the outside arm of Evan Neal downward, which stops his momentum from going up the pass rushing arc. And that allows Lawrence to dip his inside shoulder around and rip through. And it was a very, very easy edge for Demarcus Lawrence to turn against Neal. And unfortunately, this wasn't the only sack Neal surrendered. Yeah, and, I, and we'll get to some, you know, let's just get to one thing now with Neal. Something, someone brought this up in my reply as a listener, maybe, or maybe just someone who likes our work on Twitter. Did you feel like we know that from listening to Bobby Johnson and everyone who's talked about this offensive line, they change the ways in how they want these offensive linemen to block. It's specific to this coach. I felt like at times in this game, and we know this is something that Bobby Johnson wants them to do. He wants them to get like, I felt like Andrew Thomas, I'm not Andrew Thomas. Evan Neal could have gotten more depth on some of these drops and some of these sets at times that really hurt him at times on some of these plays. And I know that's not something that he's being taught by Johnson. What, what are your thoughts on kind of like the depth of the sets from Neal in this game? If that was an issue in this game, or if you think there were just other issues at play here for Evan Neal, because this is now two pretty damn bad weeks in a row for Neal 
on film. Yeah, I'm not 100% certain if it's just the set depth exactly. I remember Bobby Johnson talking a lot about how he wanted his offensive lineman essentially to dictate like Wink Martindale does, even in pass protection, be aggressive in pass protection. A lot of jump sets and things like that, which is essentially like a run blocking play only as a pass blocker. You jump on them, try to get your hands inside and then stay in front of them. And on this play, this isn't a vertical set by Evan Neal. It's not really a jump set. It's just a 45 degree set and Neal gets patient with his hands, but he doesn't really loop too too much with that outside hand to avoid that cross chop. Like he kind of leaves it out there for Demarcus Lawrence just to nail, and that just screws up the momentum. I feel like it's somewhat of a technique thing, somewhat of a confidence thing, right? Right now with Evan Neal, it's somewhat of a he's not being efficient with how he's using his hands, which was something that he was dating back to his time at college. He he did a really good job varying up the way he was able to gain access to edge rusher's chest. He didn't really do that in this game. Not that much. It seemed like Dallas was was pretty keyed in and dialed in on when Evan Neal was going to punch, and they were able to disrupt that with swipes or clubs, this cross chop from Demarcus Lawrence, and then that would just kind of screw with the momentum of Evan Neal, get his feet to stop working, get his chest over his feet, which is a problem that he has as a run blocker too. And then it just kind of got him out of whack, but it does seem like he lost high side at least four or five times in this game. And it's plausible to, to surmise that that's because he's not maybe gaining enough depth in his set. But if we go back to 2020, Andrew Thomas, how he compensated for, yeah. for that was what he oversat. And then he got right. beat inside so many times. So he just needs to get better and more refined with his technique in terms of his feet and his hands and his eyes all acting in unison. Cause that's something that if you watch Andrew Thomas, so it's, it's really good. If anybody wants to watch the film here, you can see the difference between the two. And I'm not saying this to chastise Evan Neal. I'm saying it because you could see what a technical beast, somebody who was refined, somebody who really just trusts what he is doing on that left side of the line with 78. And Evan Neal, is just, he doesn't look anything like that right now, nor should he as a rookie. And the great news about that, I think, for Giants fans and for us, specifically any of us, is that Andrew Thomas didn't look anything like what he looks like now in the first eight games of his rookie season. And, you know, I don't want to say it was the same deficiencies or the same problems that Neil had, but he didn't look great. Just like Neil hasn't looked great at first. Maybe this is going to be a similar trajectory. We hope for Evan Neal. I still have full faith in Evan Neal. I wasn't even referring to that, but the one that really stood out to me was the, the double move by Darius Slayton later in the game where it looks like Jones, and we'll get to this later, but Jones takes his shotgun and then Jones gets to a depth, which I personally don't think he needs to get to on this play. But for some reason, he wants to, once he takes that shotgun, get to a further depth. And it's just not in sync with what Evan, where Evan Neal's setting. And that just kind of allows the pass rusher to go right around Neal and blow that play up. So that, that's just kind of just what, what I was referring to. And it's not too many examples of it, maybe, but just maybe not being in sync with where the play is designed to be. Or maybe Jones isn't supposed to take that those two steps back into that depth. I really don't know. That's something that, you know, I'm not sure of. I When I watch it, I don't understand why Jones is taking two steps back. I think he should just snap the ball, plant himself, and ground himself and just get to a point and that let that be his launch point. Um, but, you know, that's a whole other story. But, yeah, I mean, just some examples like that I saw. It wasn't just that one. We'll, we'll go over them as we get through the tape. But let's dive back into I don't want to jump around too much to the drive that's like two, it's like two quarters later. But let's try to get back into this first really nicely slit, uh, scripted drive. Of course, we have that first play. Now we get into a second and 14. And, you know, this is just a great example of what I've noticed so far. You know, we talked for years. It literally was two full years, Nick, about 
why the hell can't a Jason Garrett offense figure out the screen game? It was like year two came. We're like, all right, they must have practiced it. They must have had some reps in it. It's got to get better. And it never did. And it wasn't really good for a while. And now we have a brand new coaching staff in. And immediately the screen game has been pretty damn good this season. And I think a lot of it is Kafka. I think a lot of it is timely calls. To, to work a screen game, yeah, you're practicing it. But you also, some of these screens they, they, they completed in this game, Nick, including the one that was called back via penalty, I believe. There was one called back via penalty. They're just like perfectly called screens to go against what the Cowboys are doing. Like, it's not like they call it and Jones has to like maneuver around defenders and change his arm slot and like throw from a weird sidearm angle just to get the ball to running back. And the timing's all messed up. It's like, oh, well, here's perfectly timing. Jones can lay the ball out, out there and then there's space ahead for Barkley. So in this particular play, they get 13 yards and turn what is a second and 14 almost auto punt situation, basically, for your offense into a third and one easy conversion well-designed screen, too. And I got to give credit to the big guys, man, the offensive linemen, both Glowinski and Feliciano. They double-teamed their guy, and they released with perfect timing right as Saquon Barkley catches this football to avoid the illegal man downfield, which Feliciano took a little bit later on in this game. So if you look at their angle, of attack up to the second level. Both of them are completely keyed in to Donovan Wilson and Leighton Vander Esch, and they both execute their blocks, and Saquon Barkley ends up getting rallied and tackled. But this ends up going for 13 yards to set up a third and one. Really, really good play right there. Yep. Then we have two great play calls that you might want to go over because they were just awesome. You mentioned them at the beginning of the pod. Well, yeah, the play action rollout, that was on the first and 10. I, I already brought that up. But on yep. third and one, they'd run mesh wheel. Look, Dallas runs a lot of cover one and it's ironic or at least funny because they weren't in cover one on this play. They typically run a lot of cover one though on, on short yardage situation, but the mesh wheel has been one of the staples of this playbook. It was a staple yes. of Pat Shermer's playbook as well. It's a staple of a lot of playbooks because it's, it's a good great, against a it's lot a of great concept. It's a great concept. And we've broken it down several times, but for those who are new to the podcast and this play, it's a three by one set. Everything is reduced. Everything is within the numbers. So you have the number one to the backside run a drag route. You have the number three to the front side, which is the innermost receiver, run a drag route. So you have two drag routes creating traffic right in front of the line of scrimmage, about three yards depth. And then the number two receiver runs basically an OTB over the ball, just runs directly maybe seven yards downfield and just turns around kind of right at the point when both of the receivers underneath are running the mesh. And then you can do whatever you want basically with the number one receiver, but in this type of formation with everything so condensed and with the coverage that the Cowboys showed the giants run Kenny Galladay as like on like an out route. And then Saquon Barkley runs the wheel. There's a lot of different options here. There's a lot of moving parts and it's really simple and easy for Daniel Jones to find Sterling Shepard on this play for 10 yards. You know, it's just a great way to get the football down the field in a very, very, low risk type of matter. Yeah, those two drag routes mash right right over the middle is really just a staple of Pat Shermer. It's something that I didn't I felt like Garrett didn't do enough of. I don't understand why. Like he tried spacing the stick routes. I always just feel like this is such a better way. Like cause the commotion over the middle. I just think schematically speaking, I don't think they're even close conceptually. There were two there stick were. Cur yeah. curl calls in this game. On on one of them, <laughs> one of them was on a third down and I sat there I was like Pah! Oh my gosh, Jason Garrett. Nah. See, like I like we said back then though, man. Stick yeah, you horizontal it, mix it in sparingly. Mix it in sparingly. It works good against a variety of different coverages, especially yeah. if you are especially if you throw with timing. It didn't seem like Jones really hit any of those plays with, with good timing. I think on a couple of them, or at least one of them, the, the pressure really got home to him, of course. But yeah, no, we, we got to see a little bit of glimpse of old Jason Garrett there. 
Yeah, we did. I love the second and two because you kind of utilize a little of what we saw last week on the Daniel Bellinger touchdown by getting Daniel Jones on the move to his left and giving an option here of either running or throwing to the flat here where he has the tight end, I believe Bellinger wide open. Again, it puts that defensive back in conflict. It was different than the play to Bellinger, but the same exact result happened in the sense that you have one defender and he's in conflict. Is he going to take Jones on the run or is he going to commit to the receiver? Whatever he does, it's a loss for the defense. It's a win for the offense. Just another example of Mike Kafka figuring out a play and a design that puts the defense in conflict and basically creates an auto win for the offense. From a different look, too. That's the important part yeah. here. This isn't the same look where Daniel Bellinger was the H-back. It came from the backside and Richie James was in motion. This is a completely different look, but you're right. Same exact concept. And if, say, Trevon Diggs just played this perfectly, which he almost played it pretty well here, you still had Sterling Shepard running that seven route, and he had outside leverage against the safety in the two high cover two type of defense that Dallas was in. So there's three legit options there for Daniel Jones. That is an excellent play call, and it ended up going for 20 yards to Bellinger. A couple things I noticed on the next two plays, which were a first and 10 miss and a second and 10 miss to lead to a third and 10 situation. The first and 10 miss, Galladay to me, I watched that route a few times. It's a play action curl. He just doesn't look all that sudden in and out of his breaks. This is who he is, I think, at this point. And then on the second and 10, to Shepard, the slant off the RPO. You said it should have been caught in your notes, Nick. I almost felt like it should have been caught if Galladay was running the route, if what we paid Galladay to be was running the route. This version of Galladay, I don't know. But that's like, those are the type of plays I want to rip into the contested catch type receivers. I, I guess the Giants don't have any left on the roster besides maybe David Sills, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Is he considered a contested catch guy? Kind of, but not Galladay at this point. But I, it just stood out to me because they, they're good design. They're, they're okay designs. Like they just... Those aren't like, you don't want to be throwing that ball to Shep, in my opinion, on the second and ten. He's not the receiver for that. It's an RPO, and you just want to see if he can if he can win on this quick little quick little slant route. And yep. Trevon Diggs is all over Sterling Shepard on this play. It's good coverage by Diggs. It does hit Sterling Shepard right in the hands. Might have even grazed off his face mask. It's a play that you should catch as a professional NFL receiver. Doesn't make it easy though. Doesn't make it easy at all. Right. You can see the the linebackers, both of them bite up here. Leighton Van Der Esch and Donovan Wilson play the run. So Daniel Jones makes a solid decision throwing the football here, I guess I would say. But Diggs, bro, Diggs is a, he's a guy, man. He, he he's a dog, bro. Like that the play previous that the first and ten that you brought up, Trevon Diggs is all over Kenny Galladay on that play. And yes, Kenny Galladay doesn't look all that explosive out of his break, but Trevon Diggs plays it so well with good timing and almost came away with an interception there. Yep. Completely agree. Now, the third and 10, I wonder how we feel about this one, Nick. I've looked at this a bunch. <laughs> They're, at first, I'm like, I really want Jones to get to the top of his drop, not collapse his legs in a forward motion, slide into the void. There isn't much of a void, but find a way to slide in a void and kind of rip the ball out here with anticipation. I mean, I thought this was just a great call by Kafka against this coverage. And if you look, Shepard is wide open for a first down. But this ball, the only way to make this throw is if you, the only way to have this throw is if you ha if you throw it with anticipation. And I'm not so sure he has, on a lot of these, I do feel like he can manipulate the pocket better to get to a landing spot where he can rip from. Not so sure this is the one. So is this probably a better example of just, you know, bad pass protection screwing him up here? 
but you know what I, you know what I'm seeing, right? You see what I'm talking about, where like an anticipatory rip to the outside hash there to Shepard isn't easy first every time. It's unfortunate though, because Jones yeah. for the majority of this game, and this could have been because Dallas was was very very successful bringing pressure. He was looking to the boundary side if if he was oh, on yeah. that if he was on a hash, and he looks to the boundary side where Kenny Galladay is. Sterling Shepard is to the field side. He has a little bit more cushion because he is to the field side. Slow that so, down real quick and back it up, Nick. Just explain yeah. to everybody, just in case, because I feel like we do this sometimes. Not everybody knows. Explain what you yeah. mean by the field and boundary side. There are hashes in the middle of the football field, right? When when it's the boundary, when we say the boundary side, that's when the ball is on the hash to the short side of the field. When we say the field side, that is when the ball is on the long side of the field. So there's you know more space to account for. So in this game specifically, and it's not something that that I feel like has been overly noticeable throughout Daniel Jones's career, but in this game specifically, he was looking to the boundary side first and did not do a lot of full field reads. He didn't have the time to do yeah. that. So there are a lot of plays where even David Sills was open to the field side or Sterling Shepard on this play. Yes, Dan is right. He's open on this out. Daniel Jones' eyes never go there because he's only reading the routes to the boundary side, the short side, to get the football out of his hands. That's where a lot of the play designs were towards. And on this play, Trevon Diggs is to the boundary side, and they're just mirrored routes on the outside by Kenny Galladay and Sterling Shepard. They're just out and ups. First, they go out, and then if the out's not there, once they get close to the sidelines, they turn it up kind of like a double move type of situation. Diggs is all over Kenny Galladay here, and Jones has to get flushed. But that's essentially whenever we say boundary field, that's what I mean. If anybody, if I ever say anything on the podcast, my DMs are open. Please, please slide into my DMs. And one thing we're probably going to test out soon, we keep toying with the idea, and I really kind of want to get there, is turning these into like, and it's going to be a work in progress. It's probably going to be rough the first time. But as me and Nick are doing this podcast, on our screens, what we have is are all 22 film up and we're literally watching the plays over as we talk about them. I wonder if we could go to YouTube, literally hit share screen, flip our screen. So it just shows me or Nick's screen, whoever it is, as we run through these plays. Now there's going to be a ton of pausing, a kind of ton of jumping around that we're kind of worried about being annoying for you guys. I don't know, but let us know if that's something that interests you knowing full. Well, we do not have the ability to edit this. Uh, to, it's going to be, like I said, a lot of like pausing on plays where you're just seeing a play or honestly, I was thinking Nick, just kind of running it back. Cause it all auto plays again after every play, or you can get it. So it auto plays again, or it actually looks like it goes to the next one, but I could click around and just go back to that play. So it kind of keeps playing the same play as we talk it through Nick, there's ideas, but we want to get to that point. Cause we know this is better. If you could also see what we're seeing as we're talking about it, but the result of that play was an incomplete pass. Then, you know, this was one of those unfortunate moments in a game like this, Nick, where there were a lot of close plays. Uh, this one's this I struggle with this game, Nick, because I really feel like the Giants could have won this game in so many ways. It's not just missing the field goal here with the block. And then, you know, the special teams punt return they give up later that puts three points on the board after Dallas goes three and out because they're ready in field goal range. The, the field goal taken off of the OPI. That's already nine points right there in a game that was decided by what? Seven. But also, later in the game, when the Giants had that final field goal, we'll go over this play later, but on the post wheel, Shepard's open. Jones would have to throw the anticipation like the great quarterbacks do. He'd have to slide in the pocket and reset the pocket instead of doing what he does. But Shepard's open if he wants to throw that ball with anticipation. We'll get to that. But there were a lot of points left on the board, unfortunately, by the Giants game. This was one of them, missed field goal, blocked field goal. 
and it was uh hate to say this, but tape oh. doesn't really lie. It's Evan Neal who I think makes the mistake yeah, yeah. that let led to Dorrance Armstrong getting inside. Yep. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Why is this new water called Liquid Death? Because it will brutally murder your thirst. And the recyclable Tallboy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles. I've tried Liquid Death, and I am still here. I'm not plastic, nor am I thirsty anymore, because my former parched state was quenched by the tart acidic taste of one of their flavors, Severed Lime. The lime became severed because it messed with another Liquid Death flavor, Mango Chainsaw, which combines real agave nectar with Leatherface to slice the uncomfortable drought festering in your oral cavity. Into berries and fruit, go six feet deep with a heartbeat with their sparkling flavor, Bury it alive. If you love still or sparkling water, go get Liquid Death at your local Woodman's, 7-Eleven, Roundy's, or Hy-Vee, or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com. Just use the promo code BIGBLUE. That's liquiddeath.com slash BIGBLUE. What's going on, Big Blue Banter listeners? Do you like to place bets and find ways to optimize your betting experience? Well, then OddsTrader.com is the place for you. OddsTrader is a place to compare odds from all the major sports books. You can also compare the different sign-up codes and promotions from sports books to get the best deal. OddsTrader offers handicapping, play-by-play updates, player statistics, key game statistics, live scoring and tracking, projected game day, weather, and Bet Tracker allows you to keep records of all your games and betting activity. So if you like to place bets and you want to get the most out of that experience, go to oddstrader.com and use the promo code BLUEWIRE. That's oddstrader.com slash BLUEWIRE. OddsTrader, the number one site for all your game day bets. Yeah, it, it was a rough game for Evan Neal. There's no if ands, and buts about it. Pass protection, run blocking, and then unfortunately special teams. But... Let's get to the second drive. Once again, Giants do not go three and out on the second drive, but together another pretty damn long drive here where ultimately it, it, it bogs down, but they are able to kill the, uh, to finish this drive off here with a nice 42-yard field goal. Let's get to the actual drive here by the Giants here. Um, so we had another we had a zone we had a zone read to start and then the Bellinger pivot the route that we went over they ran that again but it only picked up two yards to set up the third and five where 
this is look, if you're going to roll David Sills out there for this many snaps, these are the types of plays that David Sills needs to win at. And he did to his credit. He's the yes. backside receiver. This, this role is tailor made for the Kenny Galladay of 2019. You're the backside X receiver in a three yes. by one set win on your curl route in a contested situation against press. And David Sills does that. He releases outside. He gets to the top of his break and he sheds number three, who is probably interfering a little bit, but I don't think it should have been called. And Sills is able to kind of separate from that interference and make this catch with his hands, tuck it away for the first down. Those are the types of plays we need to see from David Sills because he's not creating a lot of vertical or horizontal type of separation. Sure. And I think you nailed it, Nick. And that's, you know, it's a drive. It keeps the drive going, and it's a great play by Sills. It's a good ball by Jones, in my opinion. I know everyone's like, oh, don't praise Jones for things that shouldn't be praised for. Some people say that to me. I'm fine praising him when he rips an out. I know it's just like a seven-yard throw or whatever, but it's ripped, and it's in the right spot. I see a lot of quarterbacks leave this on the inside shoulder and really screw this pass up. So I'm going to give him some credit for that. If you are watching this play, third and five, 55 seconds left in the first quarter, don't watch Evan Neal, or at least try not to. And so, you know what, Nick? I watched this play over. I was just looking at it oh, again to kind of get a good feel for what for it. I got to say, man, I think some of Neal's issues are literally just simple as not really knowing where to be and not having confidence in where to be. Like, this is not his – like, he's off balance and he gets destroyed and thrown to the ground. But if you watch him, he, it just kind of looks like he doesn't really know what he's doing on this play. It's a, you know, he, he doesn't know which guy to pick up here. Ultimately, why he gets knocked down is he's off balance, but he's also looking to pick up, like, it looks like, I don't know this guy's number, the 40, 42, it looks like for Dallas, who's kind of like a delayed blitzer. And that's why the other guy who's, you know, in his range, uh, let's see who that was, trying to get run it back now, 96 or 98, just chucks him off, off you know, to the ground. What, what is happening here, in my opinion, and I'm not sure, yeah. is that Evan Neal thinks that there's a twist going on here. Micah Parsons shoots the B-gap, and then I think it's Bohannon, possibly the 96 that you were referring to, goes inside. And Evan Neal looks like he... I don't know. I don't know what exactly he he looks like he's doing, but I think he thought there was going to be another rusher or somebody that he had to account for. It doesn't seem like he is in position here because he crosses his feet and just kind of like awkwardly runs into the guy that he was initially aligned to block and just gets absolutely plowed over. It was really, really weird and awkward uh, play for Evan Neal. But on the front side of this play, the three receiver side, I just want to bring up the concept because it's something that we've also seen through two games, a simple follow concept from the three receiver side. The number one receiver releases inside, removes that defender from that area. And then the number three receiver who is off the line of scrimmage as well, just like the number one receiver with the number two receiver, Sterling Shepard on the line of scrimmage, he delay releases right behind David Sills. So if this was zone coverage, typically that zone defender is getting cleared out by, or not David Sills, Tanner Hudson, getting cleared out by Tanner Hudson. And then the replacement route of Richie James will come into that zone and it will be an easy type of completion here. This is a man coverage look though. Daniel Jones takes the free access play at the top of the screen and hits the hitch. Love it. Love that breakdown. That'll be a good one. When we get the film, uh, go and let, we'll, we'll, we'll talk more about that later, but Next play, nothing too crazy to talk about, but I do want to bring it up real quick. Easy RPO. Daniel Jones takes the easy out, Sterling Shepard. I, I got to be honest, Nick. Like, it's not a Justin Herbert level throw. I get it, but I like the zip. I like the velocity on this throw by Jones, and I like the ball placement. And when you're watching from the stadium, this is kind of where I notice it, just watching the difference between Jones and Rush. 
Jones threw with a lot more velocity in this game than a Cooper Rush. And that's obviously where no, we're comparing it to a backup like Cooper Rush. This is nothing like crazy, but I felt like the ball came out really well for Jones in this game. And this is just a small, quick example of just a play where I liked how the ball came out. Yeah, this was good. And also placed outside right on that upfield shoulder, allowed yes. Sterling Shepard to catch and possibly turn, but it was a nice tackle by the defensive back. And then unfortunately here, this is another kind of missed opportunity for the Giants here on the second and four here. Ends up being a three-yard gain, but beautiful. I mean, ju just so many unreal jump cuts from Saquon Barkley in this game. Like, that is – he looks like – that's when he looks the most like his old self to me when he's making these – executing these jump cuts. But there is a huge opportunity for Saquon to hit this cut back if Bredesen can just hold his block. And Bredesen played every snap in this game. That was a change from what they had been doing. They did not mix and match Azudu. They said, look, we watched the film of the first two weeks. We gave them a chance to compete. Bredesen has won the job, at least for now. And, and I want to get your take on this, Nick. You can do it now if you want after breaking down this player. Give me your thoughts on this play. But I'm kind of okay with Bredesen moving forward. I felt like, you know, Bredesen's not some kind of amazing player. But in a game where this pass protection was god-awful, besides Andrew Thomas, to me, and you can tell me if you think this is wrong, and I'm definitely always curious to get your take, Nick, because <laughs> I think you know right, I know wrong most of the time. I feel like Bredesen was the second best, quote-unquote, I'm using best in air quotes because he wasn't very good, but the second least, let's say, the, <laughs> the second least liability in pass pro in this game, to be honest. Yeah, it's uh, it's close. I, I'm not going to fully you say agree to that. Working for that. Jeez. Evan Neal right. is number one. Glowinski is number two. And then I no, think it would be... Saying. Yeah, I oh, think it would be between Feliciano. Felici yeah, yeah, Feliciano, Feliciano has looked bad at times in pass, bro. Yeah, he 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 does that sometimes. It's it's either way, whoever wins the award, yeah. the second best <laughs> offensive best. lineman against the Dallas not Cowboys, yeah. it's not a good award. The only offensive blocker or offensive lineman, I should say, because Sterling Shepard threw some really good blocks again. Oh, of course, we're gonna miss that. I know the only offensive lineman that that played well in this game was Andrew Thomas, and it wasn't just well; it was exceptional. Yeah, it's crazy, too, because he's playing next to just like nothing. I mean, Bredesen, like I said, set probably the second quote unquote air quote best. Not a good game, but he just plays. He just does it with doesn't need anything. He doesn't need good left guard play. Doesn't need, it doesn't matter who he's matched up against. The dude just gets the job done. But yeah, in terms of Barkley, though, this second and four run, when you watch him cut, he's so low to the ground, man. He's so low to the ground. He generates so much force through the ground every time he plants his foot into the freaking ground essentially dude he's so explosive and this would have been yeah a huge run and you want to know the funny thing too dan the play before the long touchdown run he almost broke that play for a touchdown and if you watched it on the broadcast he kind of like hit the ground after he got up and you could tell he was really upset and then two plays later i believe because i think the next play might have been like a pass or something two plays later he ends up running it taking it to the house. So Saquon Barkley, man, it's great to have him back, dude, because he is so exciting to watch and he can just flip the script and take one to the house and get your offense looking somewhat respectable. And I know the exact play you're referring to, Nick. And the cool thing was that wasn't even the only one. There's like one more that comes to my mind where it was possible for him to break outside. I don't know if he wanted to, but if he had and then got vertical again, it's another huge opportunity for him to get a big gain. He's awesome, man. He's playing the best football of his career, in my opinion, as far as I'm concerned. I love the third and one here, the play call here. We've been seeing these first two weeks, various times, 
the Giants using Matt Breida as a motion guy, pre-snap motion, coming across the formation, and he never gets the ball. You know, defenses are probably looking at it on the film like, yeah, this Matt Breida, he's eye candy. They're just using him in motion. They're never going to give it to him, right? And then, of course, what does Mike Kafka do on this third and one? He does give the ball to him, and it's an easy first down here. Easy first down, and when you watch it too, it's awesome to see because the defender who's initially following Matt Breida stops in his tracks and goes to where Saquon Barkley is headed. And also the safety darts down to where Saquon Barkley is going, leaving Matt Breida with the blockers to the front side of the play. And all Matt Breida has to do is avoid Demarcus Lawrence, who was the unblocked defender. And Lawrence, guess where his eyes were? You guessed it, Dan. It was right on Saquon Barkley. And then by the time he realized Brita had the football, he was turning around and Brita was like five or six yards horizontally away from him. So another great play call by Kafka. And I just feel like we're ushering praise to this dude, but man, the guy kind of deserves it right now. And you might be right. It might be a little bit of like, we're just so damn shell-shocked from the fact that we had (laughs) Jason Garrett as our offensive coordinator over the last two years. But man, through three games, I'm very optimistic about the path of this team from an offensive standpoint, not from a personnel standpoint, from a play calling yeah. and coaching standpoint. And I'll say this, far, well, two things. One, from a personnel standpoint, I am actually more enthused by what they have to work with on offense moving forward than defense, to be completely honest with you, which is crazy to say, given the wide receiver situation. I just have this feeling, Nick, that... We get to week 12, whatever it may be, later in the season, and the Giants' offensive line has taken a big step forward. Evan Neal's taken a step forward. Mark Lewinsky's playing better football. They're all in sync. The continuity. They've stayed healthy. And things just start to look better there. And then everything will really look better with the wide receivers and the offense once that offensive line gets better. On the defensive side of the ball, there ain't no solution at linebacker in sight. There's really not a solution at corner two, I mean, hopefully Robinson can get back and get and play as good as he did in the first two games or in the first game. But then again, it was against Westbrook Akeen or whatever that dude's name is. who's just not really like, <laughs> I just didn't think Westbrook and the guy, the, the, the jag, like that didn't show me too much. Right. Like I needed, okay. You shut down Devonte Smith. All right. Now we're cooking. So those deficiencies that are on the defense side of the ball, I don't see them really fixing themselves besides the wide receivers, which aren't going to fix themselves this year. I just have this weird gut feel that pass blocking is going to get so much better. So we'll see what happens there. Yeah, back to this. The only next play I really want to talk about is the first and 10, the inbreaker to Sills. Because everything else, like they kind of matriculated a little. This was kind of the play that, in my mind, slowed down the drive. It ended up being a one yard loss, turned to second and 11. Eventually, they get bogged down on the third and five, which we can go over if we want. But This first and 10, I'm going to bring it right back up right now because it was a very good game from Daniel Jones. Don't get me wrong. Me and Nick both feel that way. This first and 10 by Jones here with 1239 to go. Quarter two, Dallas 29. You're moving the ball downfield. This was not a play. This is a play I wish Jones could have back. So a couple things I want to see Jones do a better job of here. Don't collapse the pocket. First of all, and, and take these three leaping steps forward into the middle. I know you're being taught to run, but not every situation is a run situation. The only hint of pressure he has here is off Glowinski. And quite honestly, it's not that much pressure. Like, dude, like you can easily just like, don't even step that much. Like he's just, he's always moving at all times in the pocket, like ground yourself, slide a little. And then you have a wide open inbreaker here to David Sills. And honestly, as you broke down on your Twitter, Nick, 
Richie James does some weird kind of move and creates his own separation. There's a wide open Sills. There's a wide open James. Jones just needs to settle down, reset the pocket, not worry about the one inch iota of pressure that's there on this play. And how much can I blame him for this, Nick? I don't know, man. Look, he's had a rough career. He was pressured a lot at Duke. He had a shitty O-line there. He was pressured a lot in 2020. He was pressured a lot in 2021. Pressure a lot in 2019. Got pressured more than any quarterback in any game this game. So part of this could honestly be, look, he's anytime he feels the hint of pressure, it's a little bit of like that, you know, shell shock, as you mentioned before, just that flashback moment to his last trip, <laughs> his last acid trip, last time he got hit <laughs> in the pocket, last time he got destroyed. And part of it is the coaching, right? They're like saying, like, look, dude, just just freaking run with the ball. Get us yards with your legs. We've seen you when you try to sit in that pocket too long. We've seen a lot of fumbles we didn't like. A lot of sacks we didn't like. But sometimes you just got to recognize stuff. And that's the awareness thing we were talking about here. Like, Sills and James are open. Hit the throw. Again, but Sills and James are where? Exactly what you just said. Yeah, they're to the field. And Jones's eyes go right to the boundary. And he's reading the defenders on Daniel Bellinger, who chips and releases. And then Sterling Shepard, who is basically running an out and up. And then he kind of angles it inward. And he kind of gets locked on to Shepard. And he has Shepard for maybe a second. But he has two defenders bearing down on him. It's difficult for Daniel Jones, who is on that far hash with the defender coming at him, to whip his eyes to the backside, something he did not do often in this game, and see both of those receivers, Richie James and David Sills, coming open. I think that is a difficult thing for Daniel Jones to do. But quarterbacks have done that in the past. I'll, I'll say that. And I'm wondering, because I didn't see him do any full field reads this game, if because the pressure was so bad that he was being coached to just do these half yeah, field reads and then point. run when, when, when it wasn't there. Because even if you look at the pre-snap leverage here, Richie James does such a good job on his release. Like, excellent double move release here. This was one of the ones that I was not referring to earlier in the podcast. But Jones should read the pre-snap leverage here and know that Sills and James might be open if they're both running in breaking routes here, especially right. if Trevon Diggs doesn't come down. But that's another thing. Do you really want to throw field side to Trevon Diggs against David Sills? I sure as heck do not. So that's another thing that probably factors into this. But there were plays like this to the field side, again, not to be redundant, where the player was open mostly because of off coverage. And it also just seemed like Dallas didn't expect Daniel Jones to target those field sides outside yes. the numbers because it didn't really happen. So much good stuff to go over that Nick just broke down. One being, look, the field side throws are the hard throws to make for any quarterback, no matter what. And is it possible, like Nick said, the coaches were like, look, we're not even going to try these field side throws. Just half field reads, run. Half field read or run. One of the two options. But also, is it possible, as Nick kind of brought up, which I thought was really interesting right there by you, Nick, that the Cowboys kind of figured this out and were like, this is how he's going to play us. Let's Because if you look at that, like you said, the leverage pre-snap, Jones has any great, any quarterback should know that, like, based on that leverage pre-snap, where those D-backs are lined, if I've had in-breakers on that field side, it's going to be open. And one thing you mentioned, Nick, that stood out to me, I agree where he eventually gets to before you know, before the play breaks down here, it is a difficult throw. But my whole take here, Nick, is not that it's a difficult because by that point, you're right. There is a defender bearing down on him. But my whole point is he may, he creates that situation for himself too often. And this to me is an example of that defender doesn't need to be bearing down on him. He took three steps forward to a range where the defender can be. I want him taking like 
0.5 forward and 0.5 to the left and then a diagonal, a quick slide. There's really not that much pressure to deal with. Ground your feet again, reset, scan the field and throw the ball. Now that's a full field read. Like you said, it might not be there for him. You want to know what else I think too, Dan? And this is, this is so much better from a visible standpoint. I think on this play, I think Daniel Jones steps up and he was going to use his legs and he sees that defender coming down on him and he sees Micah Parsons stop covering Daniel Bellinger and kind of come in towards the pocket. I think Daniel Jones, who had his eyes directly on Bellinger, also looking maybe through Bellinger to see what Sterling Shepard is doing because it's within the purview of his eyes where his, where, where his vision was. I think he wanted Daniel Bellinger to break up field there. And Daniel Bellinger had nothing but space. And Daniel Bellinger just never did that. I think maybe it was some sort of miscommunication. Because if you watch and you really slow it down, Daniel Jones at the point where he has two defenders bearing down on him, he takes his second hand off the ball like he's trying to, like he's about to throw the football. But Bellinger never moves. Crazy to watch from this when you pause it and slow it down. Because not only does he want Bellinger to problem, he's looking right at Bellinger. He wants him to move. But also, he's just like so – it's not his fault, I know, but it may not be his fault. But he's just so unaware of how wide open Sills and, and James are. Like, they're not – like, they're just so open at this moment. They're standing right there. Um, and that's okay. James, look, like, James legit Allen Iverson, his defender. Here. I know. Go to my Twitter he's and check it out. Broken ankles. James releases inside and then works back into the blind spot of this defensive back and then just shoots back inside. It was a ridiculously awkward looking move that was really, really smooth by James. And the freaking defender continued to fade back like like Richie James was in his blind spot for another five yards before slipping and falling down. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. All right. I got nothing else on this drive unless you want to go over the third and five. Now, let's 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 move it along. Yeah, let's move it along. We're only on drive two. Glowinski and Bredesen would both beat really bad on that third and five. It was only a five-man protection. And I do want to say, I want to mention, this was one of the points of the game where it was a three-by-one. It was a choice route for Saquon Barkley. And I think after Glowinski and Bredesen were beat so bad on this play, Mike Kafka was like, yo, look, like I I don't know how much I can use Saquon Barkley, which could have negated a huge part of what they wanted to do offensively. So I'm imagining that Saquon Barkley against those linebackers was something that they really wanted to stress on that defense. Because Dan... What what is a better way if Saquon Barkley can consistently beat Leighton Van Der Esch and Donovan Wilson, who is a safety, and possibly and uh, Anthony Barr? If you keep just abusing them, maybe that would force Micah Parsons to drop into coverage sometimes. It's obviously not going to take him off the fact that he's going to rush the passer because he's so damn good at that. But it just puts Dan Quinn in a position where he might have to mix and match his personnel. But the fact that the Giants couldn't protect just led to that not even being a factor because Saquon Barkley had to be kept in protection. You nailed it, Nick, and it happened much earlier than I mentioned at the beginning of the pod. This is drive two, and he already has to adjust his game plan. He already has to take away a big thing he wanted to do, which we also wanted him to do, utilize Saquon Barkley as a mismatch against linebackers and one-on-ones, and take it out of the game plan so he can help protect for an offensive line that's just not doing its part in a game like this. And so, so many factors go into play, but that's even more kudos for me for Mike Kafka because, look, you you adjust and you still find a way to get offense. The next drive wasn't a good one. <laughs> it was four plays <laughs> and three yards here. I don't really have much on this. If you want to get into anything you saw. Well, this drive started with the David Sills illegal block in the back. So Saquon Barkley actually ripped off a nice eight yard run in between well, off the ass of it ended up being in between in the B gap, but it was kind of off the ass of Evan Neal, but Evan Neal did a good job kind of combo blocking with Glowinski and climbing to to try and find a defensive back. 
and they set up the Giants into a third and 13 situation, but protection, man. Micah Parsons, this is the play that people probably saw on Twitter where Micah Parsons yeah. ran over Glowinski. It was not pretty. This was a wild looking play by Micah Parsons because the cow, it looked, this guy was like a four man rush and he just gets right through Glowinski, bulldozes him over. I just can't believe Micah Parsons has that much power. Like, I know this has been a problem for Glowinski. I guess this whole season and maybe his whole career, I didn't watch him much and enough, I should say, in Indianapolis. But something we keep bringing up is like, can he anchor down in pass protection? But like, this is Micah Parsons. This is not like a three tech defensive in, tackle. Yeah. In Glowinski's defense, Demarcus Lawrence engages him first. Sure. And and so Demarcus Lawrence goes in to engage him. And I think Glowinski did a good job realizing that Parsons was going to come. But right as Glowinski turns his attention to Parsons, Lawrence pushes with his inside arm and makes contact on Glowinski. And then almost simultaneously, just you know, a little hair off of being simultaneous, Parsons runs into the outside shoulder of Glowinski, and he just can't absorb the power of both those dudes. Yeah, and if you look at it, it's like I originally wanted to say like maybe Evan Neal could do a better job of getting – because we're always talking about like, look, Bobby Johnson says he wants these offensive line to dictate, right? Like almost like a run set, almost like you're the ones getting your hands on them. Do you want, does it look like, because I'm running it back now, could maybe Evan Neal do a better job of really just firing forward and getting his hands on on Parsons kind of redirect him? It's hard to say, really. I mean, he goes back into his pass set. He knows he has Daniel Bellinger there to chip. You have three guys blocking on that side, and one of those guys ends up on his ass, and one of them right in the face of the quarterback. Like, that's the reality yeah. of the Giants' protection right, right now. Yeah. Now, you could say, Especially yeah, Evan Neal right should side. do this. Yeah, Evan Neal should do this. I mean, it, it, it's difficult to really say. I mean, he's he's moving a little bit, probably far up the pass rushing arc since he has a chip there, but he's been losing high side all game at this point, so sure. I, I don't really want to knock him too much here. Yep, you're not wrong. Let's get to the fourth drive here. This is the one that ended on downs with a fourth and two play. Uh, the double slant that that they threw to Galladay. Um, it starts here with a play action post wheel, which is a play call that I freaking they they've used this now. I feel like with the, if they use this every week, maybe maybe not. They definitely use the post wheel combination a good amount this season. Correct? Yeah, it's a good combination to use. And I love that combo. Yeah, and so. This one, obviously, no one's open. Jones has to run. Anything that you took away from here, just good coverage by the Cowboys, bad separation. No, nah, just good coverage by the Cowboys. They just played it well. It's not even necessarily a it's not even a separation thing. It's just the you're trying to isolate one defender to to bite on the post or bite on the wheel, but both of the defenders go in that direction and there's no leverage for the the yeah. wheel receiver to to really stress up vertically. So that would be the one on one matchup you would need to win, but it's played really well by Dallas. Makes sense. We got a couple good plays from the Giants here. The first example of this fast four quarterback draw, a play call me and Nick freaking loved in this game. Do you want to break that one down, Nick? Yeah, I mentioned this a little bit before, Dan. This is just the fast four that we were talking about. It's a three-by-one set. You just send Saquon Barkley pre-snap right before the snap to the three-receiver side. It's going to draw a lot of attention from yeah. Dallas. You can see Trayvon Diggs step up. Leighton Van Der Esch goes in that direction. Donovan Wilson from the backside of the formation moves to the middle of the field, and that just clears out two bodies essentially from the box. So you just have all of your offensive linemen fan and push everybody to the outside, seize part, Daniel Jones, take it right up the middle. And that's exactly what happened. So awesome to see them actually utilize Daniel Jones as a runner, because that's one of his, it's a skill set that you have with him. He's not a good enough quarterback to not leverage his athletic traits. hundred yeah. percent and good on them because you could have been scared off by the next stuff. This is free 10 yards. There are a lot of free yards they got from him running. The first and 10 after that, 
one of Jones's best passes of the day, without a doubt. It's the 14-yard rip against cover three to Richie James. I got to be honest, Nick. Of all the throws Jones makes, I think this depth and this particular spot in the field, this kind of in-breaker over the middle in that 14-ish range is the best throw he makes of all his throws. He always throws this one with good velo. He always layers it if he needs to. This one's not, not the best example of that, but there are times where he might need to layer it over a second-level defender, gets it over, but also in between the safeties. And ball placement is also there. There's a lot of good anticipatory throwing when he throws this route. He's thrown this for a while. Back in the day with Jason Garrett, he would do it off the from under center, hit the back foot off the play-action drop, and rip it to Slade in a lot. This has been his throw. I want the Giants to look at this on film and be like, Daniel Jones makes this throw with so much consistency. Let's make sure we we dial up a lot of you know opportunities for him to hit it. But great throw, one of his best of the game. Yeah, this is a very good throw. And this is cover three match. So the overhang defender just matches Richie James, who was running an over route, a dig route. And basically, you just remove Micah Parsons, who's covering the the tight end who chips and releases. You remove him and create this throwing window. Daniel Bellinger chips, he releases into the flat, Micah Parsons matches that, and then the throwing window is created, so it's just on Richie James to win inside, which he has plenty of leverage to do so because the defender is playing outside leverage. Now we are rolling on this drive, right? We got a 10-yard gain, a 14-yard gain. We get to a play that I referenced earlier, Nick. One fifteen left in the second quarter, first and 10. This is the double move they tried with Darius Slayton. Now, I put this play on Twitter, and I referenced that in my estimation, Nick, I like the route from Slayton. I think that once he, it's it's a little, I don't want to say sloppy at first, but a little loosey-goosey at first. But once he makes the break and gets into that double move and gets vertical, there is good acceleration. There is some really good acceleration. You could start to see him separate from that defensive back. That's something I haven't seen from a Giants receiver on the boundary in a long time when I'm watching a ton of David Sills tape, Kenny Galladay tape on the boundary, and Sterling Shepard tape on the boundary. Those are boundary guys who don't separate with that kind of acceleration off the double move, in my opinion. Now, Sills had a couple good double moves. I believe it was either week one or week two, but that was not really acceleration-based in my mind. Now, this is what I was talking about before. Jones, like, on this gun snap, like, I'm on, let's, let's watch this back now as we go over this just so we can get a better feel for this. So this is what I meant earlier with it just didn't feel like Evan Neal and Daniel Jones to me were in sync on this play. So I don't really know why because i've seen a lot of quarterbacks not do what jones does here so he gets the shotgun snap at the 40 yard line of the giants that's where he has the ball i see a lot of quarterbacks like the aaron rot like some just not even going to mention names it's not about being a good quarterback or not nick i just want to get your take on this i see a lot of quarterbacks catch the shotgun here plant their feet reset their feet slide into position ground themselves and they're good from that depth jones instead takes another one two three steps, four, three steps back, gets himself to the 36-yard line. And Neil doesn't set that deep. And literally 90 can just run right around him. And now where 90 runs around DeMarcus Lawrence for them, he's now at the exact point where Daniel Jones, like Daniel Jones doesn't even get a chance to, the minute Daniel Jones hits his back foot, Lawrence is almost right on him. Now, if Jones had just set up from the 40, right when he caught the snap, the shotgun snap, there's no other pressure here. This is actually really well blocked other than that. He's going to have some pressure in his face because the guard, you know, it's such a short depth, I guess, to take, Nick. So I'm just, again, I want to get your take on this. But other than that, like, he could pretty much throw from this balance, from a base there. Um, and Lawrence will be washed out of the play because Lawrence is going to be rushing up the arc, gets to the 36, will have to kind of dip back down and try to make the play on it. 
What are your thoughts on like why Jones took the extra three steps and how it syncs up with Evan Neeler? Cause it, this is a big play potential. Like I know you can tell you pointed this out to me, Nick Jones's eyes are, he wants this double move. He wants to hit Slayton on this. He knows Slayton's in the game. He probably knows Slayton's one of the only guys who can create the kind of vertical separation he needs on these types of plays. And if he has time here, I feel like he could rip this ball to Slayton. But with all the things I just said that through the playoff, the play gets blown up. So what are your thoughts on everything I kind of brought up there? I think he's just trying to gain some depth in his pocket to a buy some time for Darius Slayton to get downfield, but also just get a better vantage point onto Darius Slayton's round. But I don't think it's not abnormal for him to take a, a three-step drop out of the shotgun. Like he's done that plenty of times. A lot of quarterbacks do that. I don't think that's overly abnormal. It just seems to me it could be wrong that Evan Neal tries to engage Demarcus Lawrence a bit early here, opens his hips a little bit early, and that just allows Lawrence to use that cross chop again and then win around the edge. And Evan Neal just doesn't get up the arc far enough. He kind of 45 degree sets here, doesn't vertical set, which, okay, what have you. But once you go and you do a double punch, you have to stop the rush. You can't allow him to get vertical and then turn the corner as easily as he did. And that's kind of what happened. Evan Neal double punches and he doesn't really get any kind of contact on Lawrence other than the backside of his inside shoulder. And then Lawrence just kind of grabs, it looks like to me, grabs Neil's outside arm and throws it downward, which further kind of acts as a, a momentum for Demarcus Lawrence to just turn his hips into the pocket. And Neil doesn't do a good enough job protecting his outside shoulder. It's almost like a turnstile at this point. And I'm not going to sit here and blame Daniel Jones for for taking a three-step drop when Evan Neal just was really, really bad at the pass set. I, I can't really speak to what exactly is being told to to Evan Neal or, or the, the set depth or Daniel Jones or any of that, but it seemed to me like Daniel Jones wanted to hit this deep ball to Darius Slayton, and you need some time for that to develop. And I don't even know if it would have been open. I love the acceleration and everything that you were talking about, but that safety is sitting right in the middle of the field. I think it... Yeah. If Daniel Jones turns his shoulders and acts like he's about to throw, that safety's breaking on the ball, and then it might not be as as open as we originally thought. Yeah, you'd have to lead that ball to the pylon, basically, like outside mm-hmm. to have any chance at it. You're right. Um, and I wasn't necessarily blaming Daniel Jones or saying it was so crazy to yeah. take this three-step drop. I just look at some of these plays, and I just don't know if it's necessary here. Like, I, I don't know. I just personally, I think you can get enough of a enough of a like depth without taking that drop or maybe just taking a one step and then planting here. Just always a lot of movement with his feet to me in the pocket that just, I'm not so sure is necessary. I, again, I I always bring this up, but when I watch Brady, when I watch breeze, even a guy who we don't like, Nick, let me bring this example up because I think he does a good job of this. I don't think he does much good. (laughs) Jimmy Garoppolo is a quarterback. Me and you both think independent of Kyle Shanahan is one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL starting. I think we would both agree with that. But when I watch Jimmy, man, he doesn't move much in the pocket. I think he actually does a really good job of his pocket manipulation. He finds his landmark, and he and I just don't think it's necessary for these quarterbacks to get all feet feety and moving around all the time with their feet, fleet of feet. Um, it just doesn't add much value to me. Just it, you, you're better off finding a landmark, sliding a little bit, resetting a little bit, but really grounding yourself and throwing from within that one base that you find, that landmark you find. So I don't know, just something to think about. Isn't it kind of funny too? Like it's almost like a you're robbing Peter to pay Paul because you want Daniel Jones to be active in the pocket to to find those rushing lanes, and in order to do that, you need him to keep those feet a little bit active, right? You want him to to try to hit those open lanes that that come 
about in the B gap, what have you. So if you if you asked him to not be as active, he might be a little bit more structured within this pocket that is really, really difficult to reside in because of the current state sure. of the Giants offensive line. So I do think it's one of those situations that it sounds good when you say it, but when you're surrendering as much pressure as the Giants right. did in this game, it's a little bit more difficult from a practical application standpoint. It also requires him to be a quarterback that he really hasn't been. So that might be part yeah. of it too. Like mm -hmm. it, the only way this works if, is if you're a quarterback who can make these full field scans and reads. And if you're a quarterback who can really sit in there in that pocket at your landmark, plant your feet, wait for things to get open, then rip to all levels, like rip to your field side, you know, not just throw to the half the field. Like we were talking about the easy half of the field. And so it, you know, there are quarterbacks who can do it. I just kind of want him to be that one of those quarterbacks eventually. But maybe that's what they, maybe the coaches don't feel like he can get to that level. And that's why they're like, our best strategy is to be like, if that pocket starts to collapse in any way, take off and just get us yards with your legs. And I, I can't, I don't know if I can blame the coaches for that, if that's the case, which we don't know, of course. Which we don't know, of course. And then we had the third and 13 offensive pass interference by Sterling Shepard, which still irks me because I don't know how that's called in that situation, but it all set up the fourth and two play, Dan. And I wanted to get your take on, on this situation yeah. as a yep. whole. I mean, you had, you had the third and 23 screen to Saquon Barkley. You got 21 yards to set up this fourth. Which I two. thought was a great situational play call, by the way. Yeah. I mean, you have double slants. The Cowboys were playing against them. Did you see what yeah, those they second were... and third level defend? I know it was third and 23, but like, what do you think of that? That alignment by the Cowboys on that play? Oh, so you're talking about the third. I was looking at the fourth and two. Yeah, the no, third we'll and 23. It's really weird formation. And I was like, what the heck? When they had three linebackers about 20 yards off the line of scrimmage with two safeties about five yards behind them. And then five defenders in the box and then one defender right on Kenny Galladay of all players. And then another defender on, I think it's Sterling Shepard. So you have so much room in the middle of the field for a quick and easy screen. So... I don't even know if I would say it's a good play. I mean, it is a good play call by the Giants, but it seems like the obvious play call in this type of situation with the clock bleeding down. I'm wondering if Dallas thought maybe the Giants would would run the football. And I, I honestly, I honestly don't know. Well, that's or the only reason to I pass think to the me it's it, Yeah, I didn't mean to cut you off. That's the only reason I called it a good situational play call because I've seen so many offense coordinators here just run draw and be like whatever. 24 seconds. And I think that's what the Cowboys are expecting them to run draw. And these linebackers yeah. are going to break on the draw, but to run screen there and get into Barkley in space with some blockers ahead of him, it offers a lot more than draw. It gives you, it's, it's, it seems obvious to me and you obviously. And like to anyone probably watching as fans, but I still see draw run a lot in this situation, shotgun draw. So I just want to give a little credit to there to not going with the draw, I guess. Yeah, they don't go with the draw. You set up this fourth and two. And what was your opinion of the entire fourth yeah. and two yep. going for it? And then obviously Kenny Galladay pooping his pants. Yeah, I. Okay, so going for it, you know, I'm an aggressive player in general, but not. But time is a fact. I, I am a situational aggressive guy. I felt like they hadn't done a good job in my mind of managing the clock to the point where it made sense to go for it with the amount of clock that was left on. Having said that, I don't know if I fully subscribe to what I just said, Nick, because Graham Gano is such a damn good kicker that maybe they did feel like if we just connect on this, we're getting closer. We probably need just another like eight yards, quick timeout or something. They didn't really have much time. though. It was 10 seconds left. So I still don't know to get into Galladay's, uh, to get into Gano's range. 
So it's iffy for me because I don't know if they have the time to get into Gano's range and if they miss it. But then again, if you miss it, Dallas isn't really within range either. So it's kind of just like whatever. As far as the actual play, look, you can criticize Jones if you want to because the ball is technically behind the wide receiver. But if you're doing that, you're obviously not watching this play on film because if you watch the play on film, Daniel Jones can't throw the ball inside here on this land to lead Gallaudet where you would expect it to go to because there are second level defenders moshing it up and they'll get their hands on it, maybe even pick it. So he actually throws this ball, Jones, to the spot where it has to be thrown behind the receiver. And Nick, like you called it a drop, whatever. I don't know if I'm going to label it as a drop, but we pay this dude 72 million to make catches like this. Like these types of the guy that we expected to get in Gallaudet I'm trying to think of a good comp for him right now who's playing the NFL. Is there even a, a 2019 Galladay comp that you can think of that you can come up with right now? Like Juju, not Juju. Like Juju was coming to my mind size-wise, but like not a Juju. Like like not a Hopkins, but a DeAndre Hopkins kind of comes to mind a little bit. Oh, so you're talking about like who we thought we were going to get. We thought we were going to get the DeAndre Hopkins light, which was Kenny right. Galladay at his peak. And those types of guys, and that's why they paid him so much, and those types of guys make this catch. Yes, it's behind him, but they're so good at body control, contorting their body, contested catch situations, whatever you want to label them as, that they make this play. They make this catch. Galladay reacts late, doesn't get his hands up, ball goes through, he doesn't make the play. Later on in the game, he gets another opportunity, he doesn't make the play. So he's just not making the only plays that he's supposed to be making and so this is to me, I'm with you. I says it, uh, you said it should have been caught in your notes. I agree for what he it, is. It hits him in the caught. hands. It yeah, hits him in the hands, him, man. In the hands. Yeah, exactly. Behind him. And you, I think you did a good job articulating why the pass was put where it was put. But you need to catch this, man. You, everybody's breathing down your neck, Kenny Galladay. And you're sitting here and you know, I'm not even really against what, what you said last week. You're a competitor. Yeah. You're getting paid money. You want to be on the football field. You think you deserve to be on the football field. I'm cool with that. He didn't trash the giants organization, but now you're on the freaking football field, make the damn catch. And then later in the game on an important third down that you almost could have picked up, you drop it again, dude. Like it's being a dead horse at this point. Like this, right. this could go down as, as, an Albert Hainsworth type of contract for the Giants, which sucks. Now, obviously, it's not as much money as that relative to the NFL now and the contracts that are levied and given out. But in terms of what the Giants were expecting and the bust, the bust level, it, it's literally looking like that. You're not wrong, Nick, but we end that drive. We end the half, and now we move forward. Tight game here. Every point matter. Every drive matters, and... The Giants kicked things off here in the second half on their first drive with what I thought was a pretty damn good drive. 10 plays, 42 yards, results in a field goal, kind of gets them back into a point where the Giants are right, right within this game. The first play stands out to me, Nick, just because for one, good job, Eric James, to get around the initial contact potentially and turn this into a plus four. But man, I can't help but watch this play design and watch this play, Nick, and think, Darius freaking Tony should yes. be the one running this play. It's like 
Come on, Giants. You have the perfect. You now are a team that runs a play like this. You put the guy in motion one way. Then you motion him back the other way. And then he comes right back to the other way and takes the handoff pre-snap. And you fake the handoff to Barkley to get some attention going Barkley's way. And if you look at it, one, two, three, four, five, six Cowboys defenders have their eyes on Barkley and Jones. And so really, James just has to beat that. If that is it, if James, like, if that's Tony, man, I just feel like there are things Tony can do to beat that one defender that he has to beat and do we crazy Tony-like athletic things to turn this into a big play. If not this time, the next time it comes up. They need to get this dude on the field. They have an offense now that designs plays like this one that are perfect for him, this jet sweep that they ran to Richie James for four yards. Man, I can't help but watch this game and think, damn, I wish Tony was that. And kudos, you pointed this out in your notes, and then I saw it, I was like, damn. Kudos to Evan Neal here, by the way. Not a great game, but did a great job trashing Leighton Vander Esch to the ground on this one. Man, he puts Leighton Vander Esch six feet under. Like he he destroyed him on this play. But Richie James, man, and this is no knock on Richie James. I like Richie James. I think Richie James is a fine receiver on the yeah. New York football giants. But watching him juke around and, and try to make players miss and then thinking about what Kadarius Tony could do on this play, those two things aren't even comparable. It's like little league against all pro type of stuff. And that's not trying to be a douche here or anything, but that's just kind of the reality of the situation. I actually like the one juke where he goes back inside. He has the, he has the one defender box back inside, but then you see him just kind of try to slip through and he ends up just getting kind of tossed to the ground a little bit. Kadarius Tony though, man, like Kadarius Tony might make like three dudes miss and pick up like an extra five yards with three Cowboys around him. The guy is just wildly unique. Blockers ahead. Giants blockers ahead of him. The guy is wildly unique, and he needs yep. to find the football field, man. He just does. Then we have the second and six. This is the second oh, this time. This is the toughest one for me, Nick. Yeah, this is the second time Bellinger just misses the chip, and this one's a really bad miss. And Evan Neal, like this is one where Evan Neal surrenders a sack. Again, another cross trap, losing to the same move with the outside arm, getting bullied down, surrendering the outside shoulder, and then Daniel Jones getting sacked. But to Evan Neal's defense here, he expects Daniel Bellinger to chip right. him back to the inside. So Evan Neal's expecting contact from his teammate, from his fellow rookie, and Bellinger really drops the ball here and does absolutely nothing. What kills me about this play is not even what you broke down, but that obviously is the most important part. You know, spark notes being, let's not blame Evan Neal on this one. Let's blame Bellinger because he is expecting the chip from Bellinger. But what kills me, man, is this is, I talked about how many points they left on the board earlier, the nine points via the punt return they allowed that turned into three, the block field goal and the OPI. You know, this drive ultimately ended up being a situation where the Giants got a field goal anyway. So I don't know if it would have been too different. But I love the play call here and the route combination and how wide open Richie James gets and every single person on the Giants offensive line. This is only a four man pass rush from the Cowboys and the Giants have used their back, Saquon Barkley, to help in pass protection. In addition to the chip with Daniel Bellinger. So that's assigning what seven guys to block four. And yet there's immediate pressure. And despite the fact that Giants really only, I mean, Bellinger goes out after he chips. They really only have three guys running routes. The combination that Mike Kafka calls gets Richie James to break wide open. And Daniel Jones sees it. But there's nothing he can do because of the pressure from Neil's side. And man, oh man, Daniel Jones sees it. It's such a beautiful route combination. James is wide open. He's going to rip that ball. There's so much space. Now there is a digs, I think, and a safety over the top. This isn't going to be a touchdown, probably. James is not that dude. 
but James is going to catch this ball wide open in space and probably get another 10 to 15 here. It's going to be a huge chunk play in the pass game. Five, six, seven guys to block four. They can't get it done. Yeah, it's just painful. It's very painful. And the route concept was great because the Giants are in a, a stack. So you have Richie James on the line of scrimmage. And then I believe it's Darius Slayton behind him. Both of those receivers angle their release inside. And this is a good game plan adjustment because Trevon Diggs, great cornerback, but he loves to to be very aggressive, right? So you release both of these receivers inside. Diggs, who has the deep one-third responsibility here, collapses inside and kind of looks to undercut or work right to the outside hip of one of these receivers, presumably Richie James. And right as Diggs' momentum closes right by the hash, Richie James explodes back outside. He has maybe seven or eight yards of separation here. Great route concept, great adjustment against what Dan Quinn was doing and to attack an aggressive defender here to really set him up and give you so much space and so much leverage to the outside. And that's exactly what this play call did. It worked up to perfection other than the fact that a rookie tight end did not help a rookie tackle block a really good pass rusher. Yep. All right. Next one that I guess would maybe stand out for me is just the second and seven from the Giants 29 with 13, 11 in the third quarter, just because I think it's a good example of what the coaches, what we assume the coaches might've coached Daniel Jans up. Like, look, First of all, Jones did a much better job in this game of keeping his eyes up the field when he did decide to break the pocket and run, which has been a classic thing for him these first three games. So that I give him credit for, and I think that's coaching. But this, to me, is maybe a good example of, look, they want him to take off because he does have 88 underneath here if he wants him. Right, It looks like right in his vision, um, breaking over the middle. And he decides to run, and ultimately he gets more yards running with this ball, 13, than he would have gotten if he took an e- if he took the easy completion on that route underneath. Yeah, this was a really good run by by Daniel Jones, and he outran Micah Parsons. I, I'm glad he didn't throw the football because you had Wilson kind of sitting there looking to maybe undercut or jump the route of Tanner Hudson. This is a drive concept, something that the Giants ran, I think, two or three times in this game. You basically just run one receiver. It could be a stack, but they're both on the same side of the formation. You run one receiver on a shallow cross, and then you run another receiver on a deep dig or a deep horizontal cross, and it creates a high-low in the middle of the field. But I felt like Dallas covered this really well. The the horizontal cross had two defenders, one underneath, one over the top, and then the shallow cross was just working through zone coverage. So Jones made a really good decision here to take off and pick up 13 with his legs. Yep. Um, I don't have too much else on this drive. We mean the second and 26, really risky throw by Jones, but great ball placement, great velo, got the outside. Diggs tried to pick six. That was pretty close. Uh, anything else from you before we get to the bog down field goal? Because the Giants yeah, really did settle on that third and 10. We know that. Yeah, they, they settled a little bit on the third and 10, but Jones, man, takes a freaking hit. He does not anticipate this blitz from, from Dallas where they sent five, which isn't something I felt like they did all that often. But Dan Quinn, when he sends five, he twists multiple guys up front. He'll run like two twists and then bring an unblocked nickel defender off the edge and nobody picks him up this was on chris myrick who i believe that was his responsibility there daniel jones doesn't even see it coming runs right into the freaking sack and gets kind of driven into the ground and it is crazy like you said i mean we think about this game nick and we think to ourselves wow the dallas got dallas defense got so much pressure against the giants i believe it was what the most pressure in any game this season maybe like i think it was something like one of the most they've ever charted 
But like you just said, dude, they really didn't blitz often. They sent they got most of this pressure with four men. What does that say about the state of the Giants' pass protection right now? That's the scary part because they didn't even have to blitz and they were able to do this. I feel like Demarcus Lawrence is like awesome. a Ryan. He he's a Ryan Kerrigan where it's like every time he plays an NFC East divisional opponent, he just steps up his game. Like he every time the yeah, Giants play this guy, yeah. this guy, this guy's great. This guy got like eight pressures, I think, against Andrew Thomas in the rookie season. Him and uh, was it Robert Quinn? or Randy Gregory, either way, like through the years, like those, the trio of those three, and I think Quinn was only with Dallas for the one year. They, they always just harass the crap out of the New York Giants tackles. Yeah. And it's funny because, you know, I'm sitting there and there's Cowboys fans all throughout my section there, which is gross to see, but like, I get it. Like these people sell tickets. They just take the highest bidder and often Cowboys fans. But one of the dudes was like, Demarcus Lawrence hasn't done one of the guys next to me, the Cowboys fan, nice dude, kind of. I mean, I don't love Cowboys fans, but he was as nice as a Cowboys fan can be. And he did get annoying at times, by the way. There was a Cowboys fan kid behind me, Nick, that <laughs> I got a little I got a little testy with. I'm not gonna lie. Oh my Had gosh. To, I regret it to some extent. I regret it to some extent. But he told he literally and my brother, who again has given me threats and doesn't want me to go crazy, and I respect that. But and I'm trying not to. I'm trying to become a more mature, better person. But this Cowboys fan behind me, this kid is like 15, 16 years old. Hot shot. He's oh, like, he's not a kid. He's he's a he's the oh, high schooler. Yeah, yeah. yeah immature I mean. high schooler. Yeah. He might have even kid. been like 18, 19. I don't know how to judge ages. It's in 16 to 19 range, either early college or late high school. He's like yelling. He's like, sit down, sit down. Like I'm, when when I'm getting up on third downs to get loud and cause a false start, which we did at one point as a crowd. We're taking credit for that one false start by the red zone. Uh, fully, full credit for everyone in the stands. And so he's telling me to sit down, sit down. And I'm like, dude, I'm going to stand up. It's third down. He's like, but then sit down on first and second down. I said, I'll stand up whenever the F I want to stand up. How about that? <laughs> it was it was weird. I don't know what got in me, but I just wanted to be like, dude, these are our family seats. You are an outsider here. Don't you dare tell me to sit down. I will stand up whenever the F I want to stand up. But anyway, back to what we were talking about. The nice Cowboys fan to my right was like, was like, um, yeah, Demarcus Lawrence hasn't shown up a single lick of this season. Amazing. He's now dominating this game. And you're like, what the hell? You're right. Why is it always against us? It always does seem like, and he said a single lick. What is he, he Ned Flanders? <laughs> I just extemporized there and just made that up, but you know what I mean. He's like he hasn't done anything this year, and now he's doing stuff. But um, but yeah, so so that drive bogged down. It got the third and ten, and they kind of just settled for a quick stop route, a quick in breaker that they could just you know turn into a quick field goal. Um, which I get. Look, it's a type of game where you want to just put a few points. It felt like the type of game where after that Barkley touchdown run, we we're gonna win this thing. I said this on the last podcast. 16, 9, 16, 12, 13, 9, 13, 12. So I get why they were settling there. It ultimately didn't become that. The Cowboys offense got going, which we'll talk about on the next pod. But we end that drive. We get to drive six. This is the Barkley touchdown drive. So before we get there, let's talk about the first and 10 play action to Sills for 14 yards. How about that play? Yeah, I felt like Jones did a really good job keeping his eyes downfield. Like Jones had a proclivity to run the football, right? But I do feel like even though he was running the football, he was maintaining eye contact downfield, yes. just scanning until he got to the line of scrimmage. And on this play, he has two defenders bearing down on him. He steps up in the pocket. This is one of his better pocket 
maneuverability plays in the game because yeah, he was really mobile in the pocket, but I wouldn't say he was, you know, shifting and dodging and being like Drew Brees back there or anything like that. I feel like he did a good job bailing the pocket, or at least he bailed the pocket a lot. And sometimes it was the right decision, but on this play, he does a really good job to step up and around a bunch of traffic with a defender right in his face. Dan, he could have got just annihilated here, but he gets rid of the football and finds Sills who catches it, turns and then takes a huge shot to the back. This is a low key, really nice 14 yard gain by Sills and Jones. Yeah, you broke it down perfectly, Nick. Look, we went over a lot of examples where Jones made a good play to bail from the pocket, use his legs to create with his legs. This is an example of the opposite of that. He maneuvers the pocket, steps through it, and then, despite not being on platform, which is something that he did better, he's doing better and better with this recently, at least for me, Nick. And again, nothing too crazy, nothing downhill, nothing Justin Herbert asked. Did you see the throw Herbert made this week when he was on the run and like, fire like ripped it 50 yards down the seam you know the throw i'm talking about i'll show you it after the pod but regardless he moves up he's not on balance and while he's moving forward from an off balance platform he's able to drive the football to stills 20 yards in the air it's a 14 yard completion good ball placement and yeah stills takes a lick but he holds on to the football so this is a really good off platform throw and what are all these passes? A lot of these passes, and we, we've been bringing it up, but on this third, this is another play-action rollout pass. Like Mike Kafka has to dial this up. He has to force these defenders to at least honor the run until they pin their ears back and rush. Because if you do not do that and you just have Daniel Jones drop back, it's it's good luck type of situation. And then on the next play, the first and 10, it's, it's similar look. It looks like it could be play-action rollout, but instead he just hands the football off to Saquon Barkley, and you get to see Daniel Bellinger drive a defender into the ground, and then you also see a weird defensive hold that probably should have been called where the <laughs> defender grabs Glowinski <laughs> by the shoulder pad and pulls Glowinski like six yards horizontally downfield. I don't know if this is a great block by Glowinski or just an excellent play by this defender to, to not get called while obviously dragging this dude down to the ground. Yeah, I'd like how you broke that down. Uh, I don't know. Maybe the Giants caught a break there. Like you said on the last podcast, we've talked a lot about the refs at times. Oh, no, this was this I... was on like, this was on Dallas. This was not on yeah. the Giants, man. This is on the Dallas. Dallas is the, he's no, yeah, the one no, pulling Glowinski to the ground. Yeah. No, I'm just saying we've talked about just the refs in general. And we don't in, in the sense that like we didn't feel like we were we were getting screwed. It was kind of like both ways. As I said at the stadium, I just feel like you get these crews sometimes the NFL that want to take these things into their own hands. They want to make their stamp on the game. It felt like like the one call they had on Dallas, which I thought was the worst call of the game, where the they the defend like they threw the flag because the ref had the ball holding the ball and the defender like knocked the ball. It really looked so nonchalant by the defender, like almost like he didn't even mean to do it. And that ref just immediately took his flag out. He was so excited to flag that dude. He was like, "Oh yeah, I take my it's me. I'm making the calls. 15 yards now, baby." And just those types of refs, dude, they just piss me off. They're losers. Let them play the game. Call, call, call it when you have to call it, obviously. But like, give me a break, man. It's not your game. You're not in this game. You're just the freaking loser ref who is there because they, you have to be there. But anyway, let's get back to the game here. I want to talk about the second and four play because I thought this is a really nice play call again by the Giants here. The one right before the Barkley touchdown run. This was in your notes too, Nick. It ended up being a nice little six-yard pass to Bellinger. Break down why this one works. I just love it because it's similar to the play that we were breaking down before, the play-action rollout pivot by Daniel Bellinger. 
this time you're you're rolling out and Daniel Bellinger doesn't just like pivot and kind of sit in between the linebackers and allow the linebackers to flow. He darts basically right as Daniel Jones is handing the football off to Saquon Barkley, handing the football off in quotations. And then he darts out to the flat. So on this play, everybody's biting on the play action, which is to the opposite side of the field. All the linebackers are flowing that way. Daniel Bellinger, by the time the linebackers know, he's already running to the flat and nobody's accounting for him. So it's a slight adjustment from the two plays that we covered before, but the same type of concept, right? You're going to run a play action and you're going to have your tight end fake block and then pivot to the opposite direction. And he's going to have leverage wherever he is because the defense is going to be paying attention to who? Saquon freaking Barkley, in which... If you watch this game, man, you watch the all 22. How many times was Dan Quinn's guys just keying yeah. down on Saquon Barkley, which allowed Daniel Jones, Richie James, Daniel Bellinger, David Sills to do certain things to get open, which allowed the Giants to move the football down the field. Yeah, a few things you said. Look, their game plan was to take away Barkley. They played it super aggressively. Most of this game was just single high from the Cowboys, just not respecting the Giants pass game over the top in any way, shape or form. I even noticed some plays that I, that I texted Nick about, like I talked about in the last pod. The depth from that one safety was just almost like, just like, I, it was disrespectful. It felt like at times watching. It was just like, they really did not give an absolute F about getting beat over the top by the Giants passing game. And I don't blame them at this point. We don't have the deep passing game in place, but that's one way to beat it. You know, get the defense flowing in the direction of where they think this ball is going to go, Saquon Barkley. And one thing I liked about this play and some of the plays like this one last year when the Giants wanted to just like do something like this, right? Pick up in that five to eight yard range, right? And because, you know, it's not always about in the NFL. Me and Nick talk about we love the teams that don't get in, that don't have the philosophy of let's get it to third and manageable and keep moving those chains. We love the teams that are like, let's not get into any third downs. Let's just keep ripping it on first downs and keep picking up first downs. So we never have to get the third downs. We love that. But. You still need to mix in these six-yard gains every once in a while. And what did we do all last year to try to get them? All stop routes, all stick routes, spacing. That doesn't work. These types of plays work. You get the defense moving that direction. Bellinger pivots. He cuts back out. Now he's wide open in the flat. And it's not even just about these plays working. It's about what we talked about after we watched Mike Kafka call his first game as a play caller against Tennessee. It's he's sequencing these plays and he's showing this play, this look so many different times, running the football off it, sending a jet motion, then actually running a play action rollout. Now running a play action rollout with a pivot, running a play action, just a regular play action with a drag route, you know, just doing so many different things and showing the defense so many different looks to keep them honest. So you just keep them guessing. And all you need is a sliver of hesitation to hit a huge play. And the Giants and Mike Kafka, I feel like do a pretty damn good job on offense selling the defense on something that they are not doing because they showed it to them in previous drives. Yep. All right. Barkley touchdown run. I feel like it's a bit self-explanatory to the fans, but you're Nick Filato and you do a great job of breaking down plays. So if there's anything you want to hit on this run that we feel like we haven't touched on on Twitter or anything like that, go for it. It's just a great run by Saquon Barkley. It's a stretch zone run to the double Y set. So you have two inline tight ends to the to the field side. So 
Saquon Barkley takes this handoff, stepping towards that side. Zone runs, everybody steps to the same direction. Glowinski kind of engages this block by the four-eye technique, gets pushed back a little bit. And Saquon Barkley has to make a decision at this point. Does he go inside into the A gap, or does he bounce around this and go into the B gap? And he does a good job reading this block and going into the A gap, but this puts him into a position where now he has to outrun the end man on the line of scrimmage who is unblocked here because now the end man on the line of scrimmage is much closer because he chose to go into that a gap to the backside and he outruns this end man on the line of scrimmage and breaks an arm tackle keeps his balance gets north and south but the thing i love most is after he breaks a tackle dan he just puts his foot in the ground and then just jump cuts away from two pursuing defenders and at this point john feliciano puts his hand in the air like he's freaking saying goodbye curtain call this because there's no way trevon diggs is cutting off this angle once trevon diggs crashed so far inside when darius slayton was doing a good job cutting his angle off so it was a really really nice run individual effort by saquon barkley good blocking up front but man these are the types of plays that Saquon Barkley has in his arsenal, not a lot of running backs do just be just off of sheer athletic ability. And now when you start combining the decisiveness and the processing and all these things that we've seen through three weeks, you're talking about a possible, and I don't think we're being hyperbolic here, but a possible number one type of running back in the national football league type of player. I don't think you're being hyperbolic at all because a lot of the things that have held Saquon Barkley back in our minds since that rookie season, where after that rookie season, I said he has the potential to be the best running back in the NFL. I feel like he's playing even better than he did his rookie season. A lot of things we knocked him for, he's not, he's doing, he's just taking these massive jumps on like the processing, like you just mentioned, the ability to stay low to the ground and get so play low. with good pad level. That's shorty got low. What'd you say? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I said sh- shorty got low. I love it, man. And look, it's the violence too. in his running that's back too. he's willing to take on contact. But that was there in the past. The real things that he's taken such an insane jump on, and it's crazy to me just how much coaching can factor into this, are what you just said. The decisiveness, he's running with confidence, but it's the processing and it's the ability to stay low. And if you pause this t- play on game film, if you're watching along on your game film and you pause this play at a certain point, there is no possible way you can look at that at that point and be like, there's any way this was a touchdown <laughs> before he makes that jump cut. There's just no way it looks like this could ever be a touchdown. And that's what's so special about the way Saquon Barkley's playing right now. I referenced it earlier, but I'm going to say it again. It's the most rushing yards over expectation according to NFL Next Gen stats. That, to me, is a sign that he's playing better than he running back in the NFL right now. There were things in his game that he wasn't doing in the past. Jump cutting, getting vertical a lot, playing with low pad level, processing, picking the right holes. Now he's doing those things. So what else is there to like? Like what that's he didn't need the other stuff he had on tap. He had the insane athleticism, the breakaway speed, the size and power, the receiving ability, which we've seen at times. But now he has the other stuff, man. So he he's a he's a good player. Like the Giants would not be two and one without him. That's for sure. That's 100 percent sure. He's the focal point of this offense. He's the heartbeat of this offense. And he's one of the main contributors and one of the just most important players on this football team. Let's get to the next drive, drive seven here. So this is a tough one because Cowboys went right back down the field and grabbed all the momentum the Giants just seized from that Barkley touchdown with an easy touchdown drive of their own. So it's a big moment to get that momentum back. The Giants are unable to do it. A four-play drive and a punt. This was the drive, Nick, for me, drive seven, where I finally started to see after what I was considering an almost perfect game in some ways, given the circumstances from Daniel Jones through six drives, 
he started to fall off a bit. He started to make some plays and some decisions on these next few drives that weren't great. And in my opinion, and I think yours too, as we go through them, um, you know, we might, we might, we might agree with that. So let's start with the first one here, the second and six play, right? I actually want to start okay. with the, the yeah, first yeah. and 10. So first and 10, it's a, just a short gain to Chris Myrick. And this is what prompted the Donovan Wilson penalty that Dan was referencing before, but Dallas is in cover three match here. And I like this play from Daniel Jones a lot because I feel like it shows Daniel Jones being a little bit more reserved and not putting the football into a position where it could easily be intercepted. Of course, this is a play action pass to start on the backside to the field side. You have a dig route coming over the middle of the field from Sterling Shepard, the curl flat defender here, Donovan Wilson. He ends up dropping and turning his hips and focusing on Sterling Shepard, but his assignment isn't Sterling Shepard. He is on the boundary side of this play. He's more towards Chris Myrick. There's immediate pressure right in on Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones has to flow to his left here because the offensive line just cannot protect him. And you could see Daniel Jones looking at looking at Sterling Shepard, and it almost is like he wants to throw this ball, but he flashes his eyes on Wilson and sees Wilson with his hips turned towards Shepard. So instead, he just rushes to his left and then just hits Chris Myrick for a quick six-yard gain. I feel like another Daniel Jones, a younger Daniel Jones, tries to throw this football to Sterling Shepard. And you know what? It might have been completed. It might have been completed for real. But you have Leighton Vander Esch as an underneath defender and Donovan Wilson with his hips looking like he wants to just spring in the direction of where Sterling Shepard is right now. Take the easy pass to Chris Myrick with Donovan Wilson with his hips turned into the other direction. That's exactly what he did. I felt like this was a mature play from Daniel Jones. Yeah, good good breakdown. I want to get to the second and sixth, though, here. This was right after the fourth quarter, right after the third quarter ended, and this was a big turning point for me in this game here because, again, we just saw a situation where the Cowboys grab momentum back. We're you know, at midfield at this point, the Giants. They need to put some points on the board, in my opinion, to kind of get themselves back in a position where they can gain back the momentum. And as I said earlier, I don't need to go back into it fully because I already broke it down, but I like the play call from Mike Kafka here. There's two options for Daniel Jones here. Anticipatory throwing based on the leverage that Trayvon Diggs has before the snap and a pretty nice job breaking, like getting into his break by David Sills and throttling down by David Sills. Receiver is not really known for this. Jones, I mean, <laughs> Jones has this for a long time. And if you pause this, Nick, the pocket is squeaky clean when Sills gets into his break. Squeaky clean a few seconds after Sills in his break. Trayvon Diggs is really interesting coverage on this. I mean, he's got one, he's got a wide stance, almost like a like a looking like somebody who's trying to steal a base as a he, baseball he, runner. He he's baiting him, bro. He's baiting him. And this Maybe is to the field side. Him. This yeah, is to the field, is the field side. Where Jones doesn't want to throw. Yep. He wasn't going to throw any passes towards Trayvon Diggs to the field side and, and plays so like this. Yeah. He doesn't want to make that. And we are assuming he's, he's, and I think that's a good point by you. We're assuming he's still on these half field reads, not thrown to the field side. He still has the inbreaker here to Sterling Shepard. That same throw we talked about earlier being his best throw, the one he made to Richie James, his most consistent throw through his first four years in his career. The linebackers at a pretty shallow depth here, just over the 50 yard line. He could layer this ball here, in my opinion to Sterling Shepard on this inbreaker for the first down. But what does he do? He starts to feel a little pressure, I guess. I don't really know where it's coming from. 
And then instead of sliding or staying at the same depth and not moving, or maybe even just moving a little bit laterally, he does the back. He does the old school Daniel Jones backwards movement before rolling right. And that just totally breaks down the play because then he gets backside pursuit and he's right on. It's right on him. And he has to throw high and out of bounds toward Bellinger. Yeah. I'm wondering if he saw number 42, Anthony Barr robot. Once Barr realized it wasn't a handoff, because again, play action, of course, Barr robots to locate the crossing route. And once that happened, I wonder if Jones was just like, I'm not going to throw this football. But it seems like the timing is a little off there. It seems like Jones was going to throw the football before Barr starts the robot. And then there's right. a hand in his face. And maybe that just completely deterred okay. him. But I agree with you because it wasn't, wasn't the widest window, but the window was ajar. It was ajar for Daniel Jones to, to put a ball with solid touch over two linebackers who were pressed up to the line of scrimmage because of the play action pass. Don't think it's an egregious mistake, but a, a play where you see more advanced quarterbacks maybe make this throw. And at this point in the game, Daniel Jones has been hit how many times? Plenty of right. times. And he's, yep. he's been having a lot of success with his legs also. So he's going to try to extend these plays, but he had the football for quite a while on this play. Like Andrew Thomas ends up losing quote unquote his rep he doesn't lose the rep no, he, he holds the guy up for like yep. three and a half four seconds and jones just doesn't get rid of the football and these are the types of plays that daniel jones makes and it's not like there was a ton open here but just jones sometimes will hold the football we say sacks are a quarterback stat we knock joe burrow for it but we have to knock daniel jones for it yes that is independent of the fact that the giants offensive line sucks those two things can coexist with each other but there are plays on tape where Daniel Jones decides to hold onto the football just a bit too long and then plays that maybe should have been thrown or routes that should have been hit right out of the break, he doesn't throw it. And then it's like, oh crap, what do I do now? And then right. he extends the play. And that's something that I think you can argue here with the Sterling Shepard route when he entered the dig. Yeah, and that's all it is. It's just the anticipatory throwing. That still has been a long way coming for Daniel Jones throughout his career. The best ones can do it consistently. He's shown some flashes of anticipatory throwing, not nearly enough to be completely honest. And I'll say one more point on the Andrew Thomas thing. Not only is he pass protect for so long that just I want 0% of this to ever be considered a pressure given up by him. But the only reason he even ends up being a pressure after three and a half seconds he holds off the vendor is because Jones, when he tries to escape, moves backwards before rolling right, right into the pressure. So that's, there's no, nothing. Like if Jones, like this is my thing. I'm less... The anticipatory throwing, it is what it is. I think you make a good point. Barr is roboting here. I do think if he rips that ball before Barr even gets anywhere near his robot, which I've seen great quarterbacks do, if he has the anticipation and understands it, that's not even a concern. But I understand that that might not be the case. But I just, the roll to the, the roll backwards to the right, that's the problem for me. Stay in that pocket. You just don't, you just don't move. So again, I keep saying it, man, but just. When I watch it on the film, I just so much movement in directions he doesn't need to move forward or backward or right and backwards. Just keep it steady and tight in that pocket, man. It's just going to be better for you long term, I think. Um, but obviously that turns an incompletion. And then on the third and six, like you can maybe say it's a bad throw by Jones. I don't think this is a bad throw by Jones, really. Like it's hot. It's high to a receiver like Shepard, who's not the greatest receiver at catching high, hot throws. But. Ultimately, the defender, if he throws this ball perfect, Nick, the defender's driving down and keeping him short of the sticks. What's your thought on that? Yeah, I agree with that. I do think the ball was not placed well. I think you need to keep it a little lower and a little bit more to the outside, hit 
Sterling Shepard on this drag route in stride. Also, like how Saquon Barkley gets in Anthony Barr's way, kind of gets steamrolled, but does enough to allow Daniel Jones to get this pass off. Although I think the the pressure probably altered the, the placement of the pass here because it wasn't a great throw. Yep. But ultimately... That's where the drive bogs down. They punt, and then Dallas goes right back down the field for another touchdown. Yeah, no, Such, so brutal. Such a turning point in the game. Giants get the ball back, now down 20-13, and they go three and out here. Um, so I only I have thoughts on the third and 13 play. Do you have anything before that? Klawinski was beat bad on the, on the zone read to the double Y set on the first down play. Second and eight, I thought it was a great, freaking route and play call by Mike Kafka. Great route by Sterling Shepard on the Poco route, which is a post corner route. He hits Sterling Shepard and Sterling Shepard gets it punched out by Anthony Brown. Like you got to hold on to that football Sterling Shepard, but man, he sets up this inside release so well, Dan, and explodes outside and has so much separation, similar to what we saw from the Richie James route a little bit earlier, just attacking, attacking Dan Quinn's defense that likes to play deep thirds, cover three match type type of concepts and just and just making them pay for being aggressive, but the Giants couldn't capitalize in the end. Man, that was a hell of a throw-off platform by Jones, too. He's forced off. Well, I shouldn't say he's forced off his spot. So just look at this play, Nick. If I, play. <laughs> I Why see is it, Jones yeah. moving here? Like, this is just like... So, amazing throw by Jones as he then moves to his right off-platform, and then I guess he feels like it gets himself in a better position and I really think the only reason he moved like that was just to set up a better position. I mean, the good quarterbacks don't really probably need to do that, to be completely honest. They could really set up from that hash and rip that ball to the outside. They have the arm talent. And I think Daniel Jones has the arm talent to do it. It's fine. It doesn't matter. There's such a huge pocket here that it really doesn't matter if he wants to move off the spot or not um, because it doesn't tip the play. It's a great throw by Jones, an even better play by the defensive back to knock the ball out. But this is an example. Like maybe he's trying to set up for a better throw, but whatever. Now let's get to the third and thirteen, right? We hit the third and thirteen play here. Now this is the play where Kenny Galladay drops the football. I I know you have said this, Nick. I thought I heard you say this either on the reaction or maybe on your Twitter. I saw you write about this. I don't see how this would have been a first down. I know you said you thought it would have been if he catches it because he's so short of the sticks, and he's I guess he's trying to break back. But I think that defender's in a good position, and Colliday's not really the best post-catch guy. Do you think this would have been a first? First, let me ask you that. Do you think this would have been a first down if Galladay caught it now that you're re-watching on film? I think it could have been. I didn't say okay. it was going to be. I think it could okay. be because he's catching it, and he's moving back inside. And the DB, if the DB tries to like leave his feet and attack that hip, Galladay's strong enough to maybe run through that, and then he could fall forward for the first down. Either way. He catches his football. It sets up a four and gets tackled right away. It sets up what a fourth and like two and a half that Brian Dable might actually do. I don't, I'm not maybe, I'm not 100% mm. certain about it. He probably punts the football there yeah. at, this, the at this point in the field. But yeah, at least like one. you make the damn catch like you're supposed yeah, to. Yeah. Just adding, just throwing yeah. kerosene onto the freaking fire of hate towards Kenny Galladay and, and his abusive relationship with Giant fans right now. I know, I know. I want to ask you this though. It's another field side, sort of. I mean, it's middle of the field. I kind of want to see Jones rip the inbreaker to Shepard here. What are your thoughts on that? He has a safety right over the top of it, and somebody it's right on the mm-hmm. it. It would yeah. have to. It would be difficult, and you have 
pre-snap a, a cover four look it's going to be a cover three coverage you're going to have yeah. the safety to the boundary buzz down so sure. what i mean by buzz down is he just drops down and basically takes like a middle hook type of spot coming top down instead of dro- dropping moving backwards so he's just watching daniel jones this entire time and playing any route in front of him there are no routes in front of him you have basically two players acting as quarterback spy albeit anthony barr is more in coverage just looking at Saquon Barkley here and then Donovan Wilson is quarterback spying Daniel Jones. So I'm not too against him not throwing this ball specifically because the defender on Sterling Shepard is right in his hip pocket and the safety yep. over the top. The throw is the Kenny Galladay throw. The, the throw here is the Kenny Galladay throw. He's open. He has leverage. He gets out of his break pretty quickly. And yep. by the time he's out of his break, Daniel Jones is already releasing the football at the catch point. Kenny Galladay is about three yards of separation still. It's just you got to catch it and maybe make one guy miss or run through an arm tackle in order to pick up that one. And he looks it off. He does a good job looking to his left before making this throw and throwing with anticipation. So you're right. I mean, it's a tough throw to Shepard there. There is some space, but it's you're right. The defender's on his hip. The actual defender covering him is on his hip. So I don't know if this is ever a first down, even if Galladay catches it but it might just be the only thing available on a third and 13 type situation. Unfortunately, this is after they took the false start on second and eight, right? Yes. Or third and eight. Yeah. That was a killer. Yeah, third and eight. I mean, you don't want to get yourself in the, that's part of the problem here, but nonetheless, Galladay does drop it. Now we're punting it back and it's 20 to 13. And this is, you know, it gets to a point where it's tough to come back at this point. The Cowboys kick a field goal on their next possession. That means touchdown, touchdown, field goal. It's a real big, we'll go over tomorrow on the defensive podcast but now the giants are behind by more than one score here going at this drive they go nine plays 42 yards bogged down for a field goal in the end where do you want to start on this drive first you have the really impressive throw just to start the drive on first and 10 it's the throw the 16 yards to richie james one of the better passes that we've seen from daniel jones in a while just layered as as we like to say right over the top of an underneath defender and right where it needs to be put with a defender in the hip pocket of Richie James. So that was a beautiful pass by Daniel Jones. And you also had the fast four play again on the quarterback draw on the second and five against two high defense. Look, you have two, two high. It's not something that the Giants saw all that often, but at this point of the field, the Cowboys thought the Giants were going to try to attack vertically and, and, and create explosive plays. So they aligned and covered two. And I felt like Kafka really called a nice timely play call by using Saquon Barkley as the fast th- or fast four. And then Daniel Jones goes right up the middle with a lighter box. Now they have two guys allocated to a deep half responsibilities. And even just backing it up real quick, the first throw to Richie James was so impressive to me from an arm talent standpoint, because Jones is completely off balance here. Yes. He puts his hand forward to the offensive line, which is pushed back right on him. And then just rips a ball off his back foot and puts it perfectly into a tight window layered on the money on time. And it's so crazy to me, Nick, because that's like the best of the best you get from Daniel Jones. And then the very next play to me is arguably one of his worst plays of the game. It's the first and 10 four, five, 53, five 34 in the fourth quarter. I don't know why Jones feels the panic here. Cause Andrew Thomas, yeah. like, for a quick second, kind of gets a little beat, but not at all because he completely recovers and then pushes his man down. And what it causes Jones to do here, like you'll watch this on film and you know exactly what I'm talking about. It causes him to just panic a bit from that, I guess, a little bit of pressure, start moving to his right, and then 
off balance, try to hit Barkley in the flat. The ball dies on him. Barkley has to go down to the ground to make the catch. If Jones just grounds himself, doesn't like feel that pressure from 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 uh, Thomas and rips this ball to the flat to Barkley, who knows what could happen? Because this defender driving down on Barkley would have been at that point four to six yards off of Barkley. Now it's Saquon Barkley in space. He makes that guy miss. And then who knows? Because there's a safety coming down. There's some guys in the middle of the field. But this could have been a really big play from a pristinely clean pocket. I don't know what happened here with Jones on this. What are your thoughts on this play? Nah, Jones has been battered all game. I just feel like yeah. he's starting to to feel pressure that might not be there. And he's also been extending plays. I think on this specific play, he was probably scanning the field and was like, oh, there's not a quarterback spy here. So he tries to maybe run a little bit, but realized there really wasn't any rushing room and that Dallas was containing pretty well on the edge. And then and in the interior, there were eight guys dropped in coverage, only three rushing. So it's not like the pressure was actually there. And then he just saw Saquon. He's like, that guy's a really good football player. Let's get him the ball. So he threw the football to Saquon, but the ball died. There's really no reason for Jones to be jumping around like he was doing in the pocket. And the throw was pretty bad. Just put Saquon into a poor position. It was a great read by Jones. That's the, that's the crazy part about this play. It was a great read. He hits Barkley in stride here and rips this ball from a balanced base from the pristine clean pocket. Again, I don't know, but this to me looks like it could be a big, big play just knowing Barkley it could not be nothing defender could drive down and tackle him who knows that happens sometimes too but I mean the one guy you should trust as a quarterback is Andrew Thomas here that's the only one who even gives anything that looks like even a hint of pressure but it's not because he drives his guy down immediately um, but yeah like you said it's just it could be just the case of what you said he's a battered quarterback at this point um, but this was just kind of those plays to me back to back juxtapose like who Daniel Jones is sometimes because he has that flash of brilliance to Richie James and then just does a, such a head on film. So to me, such a head scratching play here to be just like panicking there in a pur- purely clean pocket, rolling to your right for no reason and then off balance, throwing a ball that dies down to Saquon Barkley. But like you said, he made up for it next with that run. Yeah. The second and 10 play. This is one of those plays that once it wasn't converted, it's like, okay, I don't think the Giants are going to win this football game down by 10 with less than four minutes to go because you have Richie James in the backfield, Matt Breida next to him. You fast Richie James, a fast three to the field side, and the Giants run post wheel, something they've ran a lot. And we kind of discussed. Nick, back, back it up real quick. So just so we know, when you're saying fast, what you mean is to break it down exactly what it looks like. Yeah, so James is the fast three, which – like like we said a little earlier, it means basically he's motioning before the snap and then his momentum continues through the snap. The snap happens and he's already running into the third position. That prompts Leighton Vander Esch to follow Richie James in that area, but you have a post wheel from the two receivers that are to that side. And it actually is pretty successful here because Sterling Shepard is the number two receiver. He's running the wheel and then David Sills is running the post. And Sterling Shepard does a really good job staying completely square to his defender and just kind of releasing outside, but really tempoing that release, not not using any kind of speed or anything. He's just trying to keep this defender square and then basically naturally collide him into the post route from the number one receiver, who is David Sills. And that's exactly what happens. And once David Sills works over the top of Sterling Shepard's defender, Shep just takes off. So 
the safety in that area of the field now reacts to David Sills, and it's on that defender number two, the defender who was on Sterling Shepard, to work through this contact. Sterling Shepard's open here. There, it's not, it's not glaringly open, but there's a spot for Daniel Jones to get in the football. And fortunately, Daniel Jones, at the time when Sterling Shepard breaks open, is being hugged by Donovan Wilson. Somehow Jones breaks this tackle and then just throws the football away. But it's this point of the game where if the Giants could have figured out a way to protect Daniel Jones. Jones, who was looking in that direction, which is actually to the field side, but it's also the only side where there's any routes, that was the throw to make. And that was the play to have. It's just the protection failed once again. So, yeah, me and you have a little bit of a disagreement on this one, Nick. So the, the throw is an anticipatory throw to Sterling Shepard, like you said. That could be a touchdown, potentially. It's not a lock, but if you're a good quarterback, you throw the anticipation. You throw it to a spot, you make a touchdown. There's also on this on this play, in my opinion, Tanner Hudson running the drag wide open as well. Now, the production breakdowns is, is how you said it. I don't know if I see it that way, man. I look at this play... And I'm like, why is Jones doing what he's doing here? Can he not just step up and slide a bit to his left? And up? like, it just doesn't always have to be this hard as he makes it. Like, yes, we see that Matt Breida doesn't have the greatest blitz pickup here. But Breida is essentially going to put, we know based on where that Breida is lined up and where that defender is in the initial pressure, that Breida is going to at least have the ability with his hands to push the guy up the arc. So, don't go backwards like Jones does to try to break around the right here, which he does a great job of breaking this. Especially, especially not to the way where there's no receivers running, you know? Right. There's no receivers running. Instead, dude, ground yourself. Just, it doesn't even always have to be a slide. Sometimes it could be like a shoulder movement, right? Slide your shoulder a little bit. And yeah, maybe slide your feet a little. But if you just did that and you let Brita push, it's not a great rep by Brita, but he lets Brita push Wilson up. Jones will look back left at that point because that's the only place he has to look. And he's either going to see Tanner Hudson wide open or he's going to, by that point, recognize Sterling Shepard, who, like you said, does such a good job templing the route. But as I'm looking this now at this now, at that point, if Jones doesn't try to break right and just does slide and go to his left where all the receivers are running, he probably just sees Shepard and rips that ball. Because I'm sure Jones knows the post wheel is here. Like it's not like he's stupid. This is the play, right? This is the design. The post wheel is the design here. So I don't know why ultimately he makes the decision to break to his right. I, none of that part makes sense to me. To me, what I what I think, and they're in field goal range right now, and I'm not sure. Yeah. I think Daniel Jones is told do not take a sack. And in order for this mm-hmm. play to work, you need to fake the throw to the fast three, which is Richie James. So right. you need to fake the throw, and Daniel Jones does that. He dips his shoulder. He acts like he's going to throw that, and that theoretically should make those defensive backs of that side at least pay attention to Richie James, which could cause hesitation, which can lead to the post wheel coming open. That doesn't really happen. I mean, the he fakes it, but... The, that doesn't necessarily happen in terms of the defensive backs being faked out. But once Daniel Jones flashes his eyes to the safety to see what exactly he is doing, Matt Breida is getting contacted. And I think Jones just kind of panics at this point and says, I can't take a sack in this situation. So let me yep. just try to break away. I think that's probably what happened. That's fair. I think that could be a situational decision too, which I, which makes me hate it less. Um, the last play, the third and 10, it's the double move you talked about earlier with Shepard. There's just not enough protection or time for it. I think it's pretty simple, self-explanatory there. Anything you want to get to there? Yeah, the only thing I have to say here is 
Andrew Thomas ragdolled Micah Parsons on this play, which was pretty fun to see because Micah Parsons tried to land an inside spin and Andrew Thomas was more patient than Parsons thought. And he just grabs a hold of him and throws him to the ground, which you want to see because those are two stars in the making already stars for, for these franchises. And they're going to be quite familiar with each other for years to come. And the final drive, the interception drive, uh, Thought Jones made a good playoff platform on his first throw to Shepard and on the Sills interception, the dude fell. Like I don't I don't really knock Jones for that one. Anything there from you? No, I hundred percent agree with you. It's yeah. just don't fall out of your break. <laughs> yeah, don't fall out of your break, David Sills. But like you said, man, in the last spot, those fucking tight excuse my language, those tight ankles, man. David Sills is tight ankle. I love that call. <laughs> it does like I only like that because for a layman like me, I can pick that up and I'm like, yeah, I see that too. I really uh, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. T- tightest ankles, man. That guy's got calcium all up in those joints. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's wrap this up. It's gone too long already, but not too long. So uh, look, I've had like 14 people be like, I love those DR bangers. So whatever. I guess people like them, but let's wrap it up. We've gone a long time, I should say. Give me your unheralded player on film from this game on the offensive side of the ball. Unheralded player on film, offensive side of the football. I'm going to go with... Richie James, I think. And I don't even know if that's unheralded, but there's not a lot of players to go with. I think Daniel Jones is pretty heralded at this point. Andrew Thomas, Saquon Barkley, very heralded. So let's rock with Richie James. I think I know who you're going to go with. I think I know who I'm going to go with. Interesting, because I don't, I don't feel not like somebody I have we, anyone that I... It's not somebody who we think played particularly well, but all things considered, he played better than his contemporaries. Oh, um... I'm curious who you think I was going to go with. I don't think it's going to be the same person. I'm going with Daniel Jones here. Is that who you thought I was going with? No, I thought you were going to go with Bredesen. Oh, Bredesen. No, Bredesen. I, I said earlier, like, he played better than the other three losers. The other three guys who played terrible, but it wasn't good. And he wasn't good in the run game. So that, like, it was just, he just wasn't awful in pass pro compared to the rest of them. So it's not going to be him. Daniel Jones, for me, I understand what you're saying. Like he is somewhat heralded, but not like fully. There's still so many people who are like Daniel Jones sucked. And even on this podcast, you might listen and be like, Dan said a lot of negative things. There were some plays. I felt like the pocket manipulation was bad, but that was just like two to four plays that I broke down that I thought that with, but there were so many other plays that he made the 79 yards. He got with it by himself on rushing plays that I said, again, you throw a Jimmy G in there, you throw any of these immobile quarterbacks, they're taking sacks or they're throwing incompletions and they're not moving the ball there. And that was a key in this game. He ripped a couple of nice throws in this game as well. And so for me, you know, the, the positives far outweighed the negatives for Daniel Jones in this game. He had no help from his receivers and no help from his offensive line and still managed to create 79 rushing and almost 200 passing. So Jones is the unheralded player for me. Who ran the best, best route, route for you? It's a good one. So I'm trying to think, I mean, it's hard for me to not go with the route you put on Twitter, Nick the Richie James route. Cause like, it was just so freaking cool. <laughs> I like, I wanted to think maybe to say the Slayton route, the double move, but no, not really. I kind of agree with you. It wasn't even really that good of a route. It's just like, I'm so starved for any kind of vertical separation from these receivers that like, Oh, a guy accelerates a little bit on a vertical break. <laughs> like that's how bad it is, dude. Watching Sills try to run vertical routes, man. And like even Shepard to be, I hate to say it. I love the guy, but he's not a vertical guy anymore. And Galladay, like these three dudes, can't get separation vertically so seeing a little bit of separation was fun there from Slayton acceleration but no that's not it so yeah I I think I just have to go with the Richie James route that you said 
I'm going to go with the Sterling Shepard Poco route then, the post corner. Okay. He sold that really well. I think there are a couple yeah, routes. You know what? That was the Richie James. Route. The Richie James post corner could have could have probably made it too. So both of those guys. You, names, you could even put the you could even put the Shepard post wheel because of how you broke that down, how he tempoed that so well. That's true. That was a really little things like that. That that's what Sterling Shepard does, and it sucks, no. man. It's so unfortunate that he got injured. I'm so upset about that. It but is. that is like he he he's told to keep that defender square, be patient with it, and allow David Sills to naturally flow into him, or that defender to naturally flow into David Sills. Really, really just smart, savvy play from the Wiley vet. Yeah, now he's gone. That really sucks. Give me the best throw on film. The Richie James throw. Yeah, it's hard to sick to pick any other one. So we're just gonna both go with that one. Best play call, your favorite play call. Could be both Richie James uh throws, to be honest, in terms of best throw. Yeah, so best play call. I like the adjustments to to throw those post corner routes to take advantage of the aggressiveness. Just the adjustments kind of overall from Mike Kafka, but if I had to pick one, it would be the play action rollout little just adjustment to Daniel Bellinger blocking down, pivoting back outside, giving Daniel Jones an easy completion to get the kids confidence up. There's like five to seven, I think, that I just loved in this game. I love the fast threes and fast fours you were talking about where he gets the QB draw going. That was just so brilliant. Yeah, for me, it's that route combination on second and six. The one, the play where Bellinger missed the chip block. And the Giants had seven in protection, and then Neil was thrown off. And but despite only having basically a three-man wide receiver, a three-man route, even though obviously Bellinger leaks out after the chip, doesn't really count. Um, James is wide open on this break, and man, everyone does their job, but but Bellinger and I guess Neil. And just I love this play call here because it's to get that kind of open receiver on a three-man route against seven dropping in pass coverage. Always gonna love that. Best overall player. Does it even have to be said? No. Andrew Thomas was the best. Well, <laughs> I mean, Saquon Barkley's in the mix, oh. too. Damn. Yeah. See, we always, it's just because he, he had to perform so many responsibilities as a blocker in this game. It kind of took away from the overall effectiveness. Right. And you just kind of think about some of the big, like he had like a couple eight yard runs and the screen passes, but then obviously the big run. So yeah, Barkley could have easily won this. So it shouldn't even be disrespectful like that. I apologize to, to <laughs> no, I mean, Barkley, to Jonathan Stewart, to yeah, whomever yeah, else yeah, that we yeah, need to yeah. apologize to. It is probably Andrew. Tom- I, I, I'm going with Andrew Thomas though. Who are you going with? I'm going with Andrew Thomas. I, okay. It seems like it's going to be Andrew Thomas almost every week. And if it's not him, it's going to be Saquon, Saquon Barkley. Yeah, exactly. Um, pass blocking one through 10. Yikes. <laughs> Let's go with a 1.8. <laughs> and like not... 1.7 of that was Andrew Thomas. <laughs> yeah, they, they, like, they were not good. You got like a they point one across. The... <laughs> yeah. I they mean, were not I'll go, I don't know, 1.6. It's just like, if that might even be too high, it just, this was a disaster. Run blocking. I'm curious to get your take on this. This wasn't great either. 3.8. Yeah, two maybe like it, it wasn't it been better wasn't. this year. I know they had been better in run blocking, especially against the Titans. I guess not as much against the Panthers, but yeah, um, do felt like Saquon did everything on his own. Saquon does, yeah, he basically had to. There were some run blocks and some screens and, some, and things yeah. like that 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 helped. Out. But do people like watching the Giants' offense? 
everything is move the pocket. Everything is get Daniel Jones running. Everything is changing where the pocket originally is. Like that's almost like every single one of the calls. They're like obviously not every single one, but there are relative to other offenses that you watch on Sunday and things like that. Everyone uses move the pocket, play action world. Everyone uses that to slow down pass rushers and use the athletic ability of their quarterbacks. But Daniel Jones is like rarely like actually just dropping back and like reading the field. Yeah. And it's, they, they could be viewed as a slight on Daniel Jones. It could be viewed uh, as a lack of trust with Daniel Jones. But I think in this game specifically, which was, it was probably most pronounced, it would have to be attributed to the lack of protection. And yeah. just Micah Parsons and Demarcus Lawrence, like I don't think that can be overstated at this point. How how uh, the Giants just aren't doing full field reads or or anything like that. Like yeah. they'll have routes to the other side, but Daniel Jones isn't looking that way because he doesn't have the damn time to. Yeah, and in some ways, he might be like you said earlier. I think there's some validity to the statement that he might be getting coached not to do that because it's risky to try to go through your full field read when you don't have good pass protection. Bad things could happen. You could get forced fumble sacks. If instead you read only half the field and you didn't make decision to run, better things <laughs> better things will probably happen more times than not. So, yeah, man, I think all things considered, horrific pass production, receivers who can't separate vertically. This was just like I saw it on the rapid reaction, Nick. The best game Daniel Jones has played since New Orleans in week four of 2021. That was a long time ago, almost a full year ago when that game happened. But to me, it was one of his best games of his career, to be completely honest, all things considered. Because I look, when I do this stuff, I don't look at it like, Daniel Jones once threw for 351, and he only threw for 181. How could you possibly be saying this is the best game of his career? Well, that came against a totally beat-up defense that quit on its coach. He had time in the pocket, and he did a lot of good things that game. But in this game, he had no time in the pocket. He had no receivers who could separate vertically. And despite that, he made a lot of plays on his own in this game. Things that he did that nobody helped him with. The 79 yards he got rushing, nobody helped him with. Some of the throws he made, the Richie James one you referenced, nobody helped him with. It's an okay route by James, sure, whatever. But that's all a throw. And that's also with bad pass protection. So to me, again, as I see it, this was one of the first times in a while I felt a really good glimpse of Daniel Jones. Like, all right, man, stack this. Now, now just find a way to stack these games, right? Be that for 12 straight games or be that for nine out of 12 or 10 out of 12 games to close out the season. Man, there's more than 12 games. I don't know why I just said 12, but about 85, 90% of the games I'm looking for that level. If I want to believe in you as a long-term fixture, that's just how it is. Like I said, a high bar at quarterback. I know you do too. You do as well, Nick. We're not going to change that ways. Me and Nick are not believers in the Kirk Cousins, Derek Carr, Brian Tannehill builds. Just not who we're going to be. I'd rather move on and try something new and try to find the better build. I don't want to settle for bad builds. We got to give these guys 35 to 50 million against the cap, whatever. You start pro-rating the money like they've done with Cousins. It's all guaranteed. Everything, you can't get out of anything. I don't want that. And I know you don't either, Nick, but if you can start stacking consistency, I will buy back in. I'll admit it. I, I'm always going to be flexible. And so I stand by that. And keep taking care of the football. I know you threw a pick to yes. end the game, but like we're not going to make excuses for Daniel Jones, but that's an interception that shouldn't really be counted on him. He's throwing agree. throwing with anticipation out of David Seals break, but the guy literally has 
the ankles made of cement, so it just wouldn't happen. Tight ankles, baby. All right, thank you so much for tuning into the Big Blue Banter podcast. Keep it locked and loaded here. Defensive All-22 breakdown coming next. Then we have some previews coming up of the Bears game, one, maybe two. People told us, or told me, I don't know if they told you this, Nick. They want more mailbags. They like the mailbag. Some people didn't get their question in. So probably run another mailbag. I love the mailbag. It's my favorite show to do. So I'm just going to keep pushing for that bad boy. We'll run another mailbag, hopefully. So more content coming. A lot to talk about. It's New York Football Giants. It's Big Blue Banter. Have a great rest of your week. Hit us up. Follow us on Instagram where Dylan Nels has run that page beautifully. NY Big Blue Banter. At NY Big Blue Banter. Have a great rest of your week. We'll talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.